Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 235, Delize versus Yamavov, also known as UFC Vegas 85. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me, as usual, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network. And if you are watching this on YouTube or listening to it on the podcast platform of your choice, on Tuesday, instead of Monday, like you were hoping for, I will give you two guesses whose fault it is that we're going out a day uh, late. Obviously, from listening to my voice, I'm a bit under the weather. I could not go on Sunday. Keith was gracious enough and professional enough to accommodate me. So we're going to uh, get down to previewing this card for you. Keith, we're, we're back from a week off for the UFC. I mean, plenty happened this past weekend, but uh, the UFC was off. They're back. Generally speaking, fights is better than no fights, but I'm going to come right out and say this is not the strongest fight night card on paper. And I know somebody in the comment section is going to come at us on that. I, I think yeah. one of our most recent previews, someone was like, uh, I turned your preview off right away because you guys didn't sound excited to preview the card. Two things. One we're professionals, so we're gonna. Maybe, <laughs> I don't we're gonna well, I don't say that, but <laughs> in, in the in the strictly technical sense of getting paid to do this, okay. Uh, uh, but two, we've been doing this for going on four years now, uh, going on two hundred events. If you've been listening to us for a while, we hope you trust us that when we say a card is amazing on paper, we mean it. If yeah. we say on the recap afterwards that a card looked lousy on paper and absolutely delivered, you you believe it. We we don't work for the UFC. It's not our job to sell you these fights. It's to give you some background and predictions on them. And if we're not as excited one week as the next, that's just that's just our honest take on it. My honest take on this is that the main card has a couple of really interesting fights on it. Nobody on this card is probably within two wins of a title shot, no. barring something truly unforeseen. And the undercard, there's seven fights on the undercard, 14 fighters. Only three of them are over 500 in the UFC. I, the the, the Shillin and Duffy cut list on this recap could be uh, lengthy and distinguished. Uh, tell me I'm wrong, if I am. Um, I mean, what, do you, what, what do you give it for a grade? D. I think, I think in terms of entertainment value, we may end up getting just this carnival of slaughter on, on the prelims as overmatched and or desperate fighters lose in spectacular ways. But if I wanted to see a bunch of okay fighters get murked, I mean, that's, that's called a Bellator prelim, you know, rest in peace. Yeah. So I, I kind of kind of two grades for this. So like, I totally agree with you on, on paper. When you go, when you go down the card, like you said, when, when we, when we do the recap show, you know, why not talk about title fights or one more win and they're in, in the title picture. Like that's not the case for anybody on, on this card. Uh, that said, I like the top five fights. I think the top five fights are really good. Um, good fighters, competitive, um, you know, I, mean, I we, we one thing I do is I, I don't look at the betting lines. I, I, I don't want to be influenced by the betting lines. I, I don't bet, so it doesn't really matter to me, um, which is funny because how many people who bet who listen to the show, and, and I thank for them for that. And, and, and tip I'm us. A, <laughs> uh, 
and, yes. and they tip us they, they tip yeah. us when we're right but they, so, they don't get to charge us when we're wrong like when, yeah when. yeah <laughs> yeah so I'm, I'm assuming i'm assuming um the lines are close because there's some really really competitive fights and hard to pick I agree with you on the prelims, but the one thing I will say is we have action fighters on the prelims. Like, 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 say what you want about Stolyarenko. Stolyarenko is not a good fighter, but she's not boring. Nope. You know, no. and, and there's a lot of like Landon Quinones. He's a fun fighter. Um, you know, so no. Blake Builder is a fun fighter. So, I, yeah, I agree on paper. Like moving forward, a D. But when you add it all to like what I expect in action, I'm gonna give it like a C plus. Like to me, it's. I was thinking about this. Like, I was I'm not thinking about this with the car, but thinking about uh, I flip it through the channels, and yeah, like like a lot of times I like to do is when there's a commercial, I just put it on scan, and then I stop when I hear a good song. And freaking Frankie Valley was on, and I stopped, and I'm like, oh my god, I used to make fun of my dad for like Frankie <laughs> Valley, and then like. Suddenly, I'm stopping the radio to listen to Frankie Valley, and that's what this is like. It's it's better than than I give it credit for. So, like, which which song was it? Was, was it like "Walk Like a Man" or was it? Uh, uh it was. Um, that was oh, what a night. Okay, like like they're, they're classic. They're big one. And but I mean, they, they reference that "Walk Like a Man." I, in, and this is the this card. It, it may it may age well. Uh, I don't think there would be much argument that Ali Ashkab Kizriev and Azat Maksum are the two most quietly undefeated fighters in the UFC sure. right now. Like yeah. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're it. So assuming Kizriev can fight more than once every two years going forward, assuming that Maksum keeps winning this, we may look, look back on this card a year or two from now to be like, Hey, you know, a couple of top five fighters came out of this card. So you, you never know. And that's why we watch the fights, uh, even if we do uh, dunk on the card just a little bit during the intro. Uh, <laughs> how, how many listeners after the Leonard Skinner thing we did right away said, <laughs> oh, God, please don't start doing Frankie Valley references the rest of the show. I, I think I think you're safe because while I can rattle off probably 25 or 30 Skinner song titles with Frankie Valley, I've got maybe three. Uh, so uh, we're, we're, yeah. Oh, um, you ready to start out, talking shout about out to that? anybody who's in, who's in the Broadway who listened to this and want to get us, me and Ben, some tickets to the, uh, what's, what's the Frankie Valley uh, Broadway show called? I have no Jersey idea. Boy, Jersey Boys, Jersey Boys. Yeah, it's, a, it's about Frankie Valley. I think. I, I, yeah, yeah. Okay. If you're a longtime listener of the Shillin and Duffy show, you probably had an idea in mind all along which of us would be better versed in musical theater. And I'm sorry that your assumptions were disproven because <laughs> <laughs> it's apparently Keith. <laughs> I, I, I've actually seen, uh, believe it or not, I've actually seen one Broadway show. I went uh, like the two, a year or two ago. We went to the Harry Potter, bringing my kid, my uh, my kids to, and we went to Broadway. And yeah, it was two years ago because my my middle kid had a broken leg. It was our way of going from the cheap seats all the way to like really close because she couldn't walk up the stairs and it was an old one, so they didn't have an elevator, so snuck us right in close. That's that's a beautiful thing. You you got so it's worth like her not being able to walk for like a summer. You know, worked out perfect for us. Got some good got got some like thousand dollar seats. Man, I'm gonna finish this podcast and go break my leg. (laughs) Uh, You ready to start talking about these prelims? Yeah, let's do it. First up on the UFC Vegas 85 prelims is the lone heavyweight matchup on the card. Thomas Peterson makes his debut against Jamal Pogues. 
Peterson, the 28-year-old Minnesota native, is 8-1 and one overall. Uh, as mentioned, he will be making his UFC debut here. He won on the Contender Series back in August, key-locking Chandler Cole in the second round. He will uh, be facing Pogues, a 28-year-old Californian, is 10-4 and four overall. He is 1-1 one and one since joining the UFC out of Season 6 of the Contender Series. He fought most recently back in July uh, in London, dropping a unanimous decision to hometown favorite Mick Parkin. Odds here? Nah, not off the charts wide, but Peterson is a comfortable favorite. He's minus 170, Pogues plus 140. Keith, if I stepped out of a time machine and said that one of these guys is a top 10 heavyweight three years from now, which one is it? Um, Peterson. You I, know what? I mean, I, I like, uh, if you step out of time machine, are you, are you, is it, is it in three years from now? Is there like flying skateboards and stuff? Like what do we got? I think it's more likely that there are flying skateboards than that either of these guys is the top 10 heavyweight, but it is heavyweight. So you never know. I would lean that way myself. They're both under 30, which at heavyweight means they have literally 10 to 12 years, if not 15 to keep competing at whatever level they're at or to reach whatever their ceiling is in their favor. Both of them are big dudes. Uh, nobody's going to be calling for either of these guys to be cut into 205 anytime soon. But neither of them is that great. Uh, Peterson, I saw him on the Contender Series. It, it it touched my old school heart to see him get just the most top side big man submission ever. Key locking a, a dude like it was Butterbean and Zuluzinho. You know, uh, you, you got to love those. What, <laughs> what's up? Can have, I, that guy had a body like Butterbean. So, yeah. what what submission could I get? Because I'm tired. What what submission could I get without having to move very much? I'm just going to start doing shit to this arm and, and, and see what happens. That's why you end up with Kimuras, Americanas, things that end up turning into arm triangles. Just the top side big man submission. I was surprised he didn't just like forearm, to, you know, to the neck him. But despite being a 260-pound guy, he's not that rangy. He's sort of squat and compact. He's kind of like... I mean, he's built a lot like Muhammad Usman, honestly, uh, where if anything, he looks a little smaller than he is. But I, I Pogues is just not good. I know what Peterson's going to do. He's going to come forward. He's going to uh, just brawl. He's going to throw hooks with both hands. He's not going to try for a takedown, but he'll take it if it comes. And the opportunity is going to come because these being unranked heavyweights, there are going to be lots of collisions. I think Peterson just kind of overwhelms Pogues. Get they end up on the ground sometime in the first round. And while I'd love another sassy key lock, I'm going to say he just pounds him out with ground and pound. Uh, give me Peterson by first round TKO. I don't have a whole lot of confidence in that. I, I mean, for for as much crap as I just talked about him, these are 28 year old heavyweights. There is the possibility that one of them has made huge strides in his game. Uh, this is probably the first time for either of these guys that they've been able to train full time. That does mean a lot. So if Pogues comes out and looks like a man transformed, great. I'm happy to be wrong. But based on what I know of these guys, Peterson first round TKO on the ground. Great, Scott. 
<laughs> um, I, I think I'd rather watch Biff fight one of these guys. <laughs> you know, going. <laughs> uh, speaking of of of, of Broadway plays, uh, Back to the Future is a Broadway play. Did you know that? And it's like I think it's not like number one right now. Is this just because you live? in the same region of the world as New York? Is that how you know this stuff? No, I'm, just, I'm, I'm much more uh, cultured in the arts than in, well, I mean, if it, now in fairness, my wife's a drama teacher. Okay, that's that's true. Like you do have a civilizing influence like, yeah. like floating around <laughs> there. Wife, yeah, she does what she does for a living. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, Pogues, yeah, he's not a great athlete, you know, he, he's very plodding. He, he, you know, usually if you're you're not a great athlete, you have to make up for it with just being like a high volume guy. He's not that. He throws, you know, single shots. He's got a pretty good jab. He throws straight shots on the pipe, which I like. He's, he has this short right um, is is kind of his best punch. But he he's not a heavy hitter uh, for heavyweight. He's got a lot of defense balls. He keeps his chin high in the air, um, which is a big target. I actually like his kicks though. A decent kicking game. Uh, I love his high kick. But you going back to the contender series, he doesn't check leg kicks. He got beat up with leg kicks. He will look to wrestle, but he's he's not a great wrestler. Uh, you know, he can get the fight to the ground, but I, I don't expect that happening against Peterson. He only has one sub on his record. Uh, he's been subbed twice. He's gassed out in, in fights, which isn't good. Uh, Peterson, he's 28. You know, his one loss is to Waldo Cortez Acosta, which is, you know, not a great win. But, I mean, he's, he came up through the LFA, which I like that. He's a southpaw. He's very raw on the feet. He, he, he does have some good power. I give him that because um, he's a bigger guy. But he keeps his chin really high in the air. Now, he's a good wrestler. I mean, you're talking about a Juco national champion. Uh, they talked about the contender series that he's a training partner with Olympic gold medalist Gable Steveson, who's, you know, one of the greatest, you know, heavyweight wrestlers ever. So, you know, what I've seen him, good good entries. He loves to snatch single and, like, run in the pipe. Uh, he'll do some upper body throws. Well, he only has one sub, but to his credit, it did come in his last fight. I think Pokes has a massive advantage on the feet. I shouldn't say massive. Yeah, throw a massive out a little too easy, but he's, he should have a he should have a, a a little bit of an advantage on the feet. Just be you know a little more polished, more experienced. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go say Peterson has made enough improvements on the feet to give himself chances to get to those entries. I say he takes Pokes down, he beats him up a ground pound. I think Pogues, you know, him, him carrying the weight of Peterson for a majority of the fight, uh, I think Pogues slows down. I think Peterson's going to get a, a third-round TKO by ground and pound. Next up on the UFC Fight Night 235 prelims, lightweights take the cage as Landon Quinones faces off against Markel Medeiros. Quinones, the 27-year-old Floridian, is 7-2-1 and overall. He is 0-1 in the UFC. He made his debut last September at UFC 293, dropping a unanimous decision to Nasrat Hakparast. He will look to even up his UFC tally against the debuting Medeiros. Uh, Medeiros, 27 years old, fighting out of Texas, or sorry, hailing from Texas, fighting now out of Colorado, is 8-1 overall. He fought on the Contender Series last October, uh, knocking out Isa Isakov in the first round uh, to earn a spot on the roster. Uh, prior to that, he was uh, not a champ, but definitely a high-level contender in, in Fury Fighting Championship down here in, in Texas. Uh, he is ever so slightly favored in his debut. He's minus 150. Quinone is coming back at uh, plus 115. 
lightweight is one of those divisions where unless somebody is an off the charts prospect, I'm gonna say no if you ask me if they're a future top 15 fighter just the the division's too good the athletes are too good it's too deep the skill level is so high you have to win so many fights to to get on the radar so i see Maderos as an intriguing solid prospect like very very good athlete with uh good offensive weapons some liabilities on the ground who could develop into something interesting with continued good coaching i think he's at a great camp for kind of his weight range and skill set at factory x they have a ton of fighters in that 145 155 uh, pound range for him to work with uh quinones he's gonna be a lot of fun for however long he sticks around i think of him as having less upside than Maderos. and again for the record i would bet against either of these guys being a, a future contender what I do know about Quinones is he happily stood in the pocket with Nazrat Hakparas for three rounds uh, in his UFC debut. And yeah, he lost all three rounds, but it's one of those fights that was a competitive 30 to 27. Like each individual round, he got his licks in. He took the best that Hakparas could throw, which not a lot of people can say, because that was one of those rare fights where Hakparas decided to step on the gas and like actually throw his hands. And he was fine. So I don't know if that is a recipe for law longevity either as a fighter or a human being but he's tough as nails here if he does that against Maderos, i i actually think he's going to get lamped uh hakparas has surprisingly heavy hands but i think his power is a little overstated just because he, he rocked uh, some people really hard in his first couple ufc fights Maderos is a little bit more of a kill shot guy i think if quinones kind of just hangs around and invites a short to mid-range brawl with Maderos, he's going to walk into something nasty and, and get plonked or at least get dropped in, in a way that turns the, like turns the, the momentum of the fight. Maderos at minus 150 kind of makes sense to me based on what I've, I've seen of the two guys. I'm going to say this one goes to decision, but there's no question uh, who won this thing. Maybe one of those fights where Quinones gets dropped multiple times and we kind of see the limitations of his approach uh, as it has been in his first two fights. So give me Madero's by decision here. Yeah. Um, so on the prelims, I think this is the one of the fights that I'm, I'm, I'm most excited about. I, I like a lot of what you said about um, Quinones. Yeah, he, he did lose his UFC debut, but I don't think he looked bad. And, and I mean, this guy who lost on, looked bad on the Ultimate Fighter show, and I, and I said that heading into his UFC debut, that this guy is better than he, than his record shows and, and the, you know, his recent showings. He's a southpaw, high-volume striking. Uh, he's a builder. He gets stronger each round. He loves getting to that mid-range striking and, and works behind a really good jab, attacks with combinations. I love that he finishes combos with, like, this big overhand left to kind of like put a stamp on that combo. Uh, he almost leads with power shots a lot. Like he'll come in and throw that lead left and then kind of finish with a combination. Uh, he loves spinning attacks. I'm not crazy about, but he throws a lot of kicks, good calf kicks. He loves that John Jones oblique kick, uh, but he will throw kicks without setups. So that that's concerning. Uh, he, he's got good step in the, which, you know, I love uh, he will wrestle, but often he'll shoot too far away without a setup. Not a great defensive wrestler. I mean, he was, Take it down and quickly sub by Jason Knight on on the Ultimate Fighter, uh, and he's been he he's been in some wars. He's been rocked a lot, uh, so that's why I agree what you said about uh, his fight with Hawk Ross. Like I, I, he took some shots, but history says that that's not a good idea uh, based on you know his 
his track record. Uh, Medeiros, 27 years old. I mean, you, you love that he's coming out of like a polished team like Factory X. Fights out of both stances, flows really well between both stances. He's a counter striker who sets up his shots with drawing out attacks with feints. He's got a good feedback uh, counter attack style. Fast hands, accurate, uh, also attacks with combos. I love that he goes downstairs to the body. He's got good power. He's got six knockouts already in his career. Great leg kicks. Uh, he's he's won back-to-back fights with step-in knees, like knockouts. Uh, I haven't seen too much of his offensive grappling, but his defensive wrestling <coughs> is pretty weak. But he's got a pretty good get-up game, so it's hard to hold down. I, I think it's a great matchup. I, 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 I think both guys I, – I totally agree what you said about lightweight. Like, obviously – you know, the answers are going to almost always be no when you ask me a top 15 guy. And, and it's not a knock on guys. It's just like, it's like if I watch some superstar, you know, football player and who scores three touchdowns Friday night and someone says, you think he's going to play in the NFL? No, no, I don't. Like, is he incredibly good? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm just going to go with uh, the odds that he's probably not going to play in the NFL. No. I, I'm with you. I'm going to go with a UFC newcomer. I love his body work. I love his leg kicks. Uh, I think he's got the speed advantage. I say both guys have their moments, but give me the calf kicks from Medeiros to to give him the slight edge. I say Medeiros by decision. We head now to the women's flyweight division where Luana Carolina will square off against Yulia Stolyarenko. Carolina, 30-year-old Brazilian, is 9-4 and four overall. She's 4-3 and three since joining the UFC out of Season 1 of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil. She fought twice last year, uh, losing to Joanne Wood in March, then coming back in July and taking a unanimous decision over Ivana Petrovich to get back in the win column. She'll look to make it two in a row here against Stolyarenko. Stolyarenko, 30-year-old Lithuanian, is 11-7-2 overall. She is 2-4. and four in the UFC. That's not great, but she is 1-0 since dropping the flyweight. Uh, she made her flyweight debut last July against Molly McCann, whom we'll talk about in a little bit, armbarring her in just under two minutes. Uh, she will look to keep her flyweight record spotless. She is slightly favored to do so. Stolyarenko comes in at minus 130. Carolina available out there at even money, plus 100. Uh, I was a little dubious of Stolyarenko heading into the McCann fight. Just if anything, just as a thick, solidly built 135er, at least by the eyeball test, I figured if anything, she'd be better served trying her luck up at 145, uh, where being under 500 in the UFC would be no impediment to getting a title shot. Uh, no. <laughs> I was proven wrong. I, I learned two things about Yulia Stolyarenko in July. One, she can make 125 pounds without falling over. Two, she can still armbar people. Uh, so, in other words, new division, same as the old division. <clears throat> she is still... Uh, a lot of the problems with Stolyarenko were not going to be fixed by moving down to 125. Uh, she's slow, and her striking is ugly though she does throw hard. Certainly being slow is not going to be fixed by moving down to a division with faster women. The fact that she is more or less a one-dimensional armbar specialist at the UFC level might actually be helped by going to 125 pounds just because without, without reliable takedown entries, she has been forced to resort to low percentage stuff to get fights to the ground in positions she wants. 
like she is just all too happy to fall to guard looking for a, an, an arm bar. I think she would try a flying arm bar if she had the hops for it, but I'm not sure she does. Uh, <clears throat> and at 125, she might be able to just bully women around and get trip and drag takedowns from the clinch that she couldn't get at 135 because things tended to fall. The wheels tended to fall off her wagon pretty quickly off of just blown submission fall to guard attempts at 135. You know, she kind of got punched out that way. Here against Carolina, somebody whose takedown defense is not good and is kind of tall and lanky and wants to kickbox. It's it, each woman's strength matches up well against the other's weakness. Carolina should have both the speed and reach advantage, which is impressive considering that Stolyarenko is moving down a weight class. So I'm not shocked if Carolina just pieces up Stolyarenko at range and Stolyarenko is just following her around like a zombie with her arms stretched out like she did to faster women at 135 trying to get her to the ground. I also wouldn't be surprised if Stolyarenko just crashes the pocket, you know, eats one punch, one kick, throws Carolina to the ground and arm bars her 30 seconds later. Just this is low level stuff. And because of that, neither outcome would really shock me. I'm leaning with the slight favorite here, Stolyarenko. I'm going to say she gets exactly what she wants and she arm bars Carolina in the second round, but not a whole lot of confidence on this one. Yeah, picking Stolyarenko in any fight, it's hard to have confidence. Um, <clears throat> I keep picking her. I don't know why. I, I, I love this woman somehow. Um, she, she's not Frankie Valley, but she's more like a, yeah. a, I don't know, Fleetwood Mac or something. I don't know. I love her. Uh, <laughs> she's, you know, she's not a great athlete. Uh, she's very flat foot on the feet, but I mean, she's got good volume. She's going to come forward and very like Keith. I said it before. She has this, like Keith journey and herky jerky style brawling, throwing looping power shots. She has decent power. Uh, that's because she, she, you know, she's you miss. She's a sturdy woman, so she has that base underneath her. She yeah. wants to march forward and land shots. Uh, you know, uh, she'll even throw like a Superman punch to close the distance. Throws a lot of kicks too. Uh, she wants to be the bully. She hates being pressed back. I mean, like that's what something that Chelsea Chandler did to her. Well, but all that striking, you know, offense. She has so many holes defensively. The biggest thing she just doesn't move her head. She drops her hands too so that's that's not a good combination uh she she if she gets to the clinch she's a strong woman she can grind inside uh but i was surprised that she was out out grappled in the clinch by yana kuniskaya uh which might be a reason why she, you know she's slowly made her way down uh she's got some good dirty boxing she will shoot for takedown uh and she'll just keep shooting and and, and sometimes she gets stuck underneath and, and getting beat up there but if she's on top she's a strong grapper i mean uh, you know She'll also if if you put her on her back, she'll she'll play BJJ. She doesn't want to get up. She's comfortable being on their back. Um, I mean, she'll even pull guard. Or she'll Imanari roll. If she's on top, she quickly passes guard. But you mentioned it. she wants to get that armbar. She's an armbar specialist. Um, she she showed against Chelsea Chandler. She can have terrible moments of IQ. I mean, she she gave up the mount trying to get an armbar and 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 then got beat up for it. the one thing I do like is the fight goes deep. She won't gas out. Like I've seen her back back in the day, go all 15 minutes. So, you know, expecting that, that weight cut hasn't changed that. Now, Carolina, I mean, man, she's, I'm, 
I don't know, I feel like we've broken down her fights like a million times. Uh, she's a long and lengthy striker, Muay Thai striker, likes to work from the outside. She is solid when she's throwing straight shots down the pipe, especially her jab. But she often telegraphs her shots, loading up way too much. Uh, I do like her kicking game, especially her teep kicks and, and, and lane kicks. I mean, that's something to be really smart if she uses against Solarenko. Uh, if she gets, you know, someone gets inside her, she works in knees well, but she's, she's, her offensive grappling is, is there's no offensive grapple. She's not going to look for takedowns. But her defensive wrestling has always been dog shit. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm trying to be nice, but I mean, it's that bad. Uh, but to her, to her credit, her last fight against Petrovic, she, she stopped a, a lot of takedowns. This is a tough fight to pick because I mean they're both low level talents. I think on the feet, Carolina should have the advantage with her with her jab and her teep kicks. It it really comes down to how much has Carolina's takedown defense improved. I, I'm I'm with you, man. I'm not sold. I, I say Sterling finds a way to get the fight to the ground. I say she does what she does. I say she goes to her specialty. She goes to her her, her finishing move. I'll say Sterling wins by first round submission. I'll go by first round armbar. All right, and we'll probably call for a title shot. Featherweights are up next at UFC Vegas 85 as Jung Young Lee faces off against Blake Builder. Lee, the 28-year-old Korean, is 10-1 and overall. He's 1-0 and since joining the UFC as the featherweight winner of the Road to UFC 1 tournament. Uh, he... Won that tournament last February with a split decision over Yi Jia. He has been on the shelf ever since, but he makes his return against Builder. Uh, Builder, 33-year-old Minnesota native, is 8-1-1 overall. He is 1-1 since joining the UFC out of Season 6 of Dana White's Contender Series. Fought most recently in June at UFC 289, where he dropped a unanimous decision to Kyle Nelson. He'll be looking to get back into uh, the win column. He is not favored to do so. He is plus 115 as your underdog. Lee is minus 145 as the favorite. Keith, 145, same as we've been talking about 155 here, perhaps even more so. I'm not even going to ask you if either of these guys is a top 15 guy in the future. Just uh, tell me, well, tell me who you, who you think wins this one and how. Yeah, I, I think this is a really fun fight to start off. Um, I, I mean, Blake Builders, it's really hard for that guy to be in a barn fight. He's a high output striker, very boxing style, tight boxing, keeps everything you know, inside, gets inside, he throws really hard hooks, he has good power, uh, he bounces his head off the center line well. Uh, even when he's tagged, he's rolling with shots, so he's not really absorbing a lot of power. Uh, I, I hate that he sometimes he'll pillar, which you know I don't like, so he kind of has all the boxing defenses. Yeah, because of his heavy, you know, on his front foot boxing style, he's he's open to to leg kicks. Uh, he will occasionally wrestle, though. He will, you know, sneak in a takedown, uh, but he he'll shoot with no setup. Uh, he's he's a good grappler. He's got some pretty good back takes. He is a submission threat, uh, and he it can go hard all fifteen minutes. Now, uh, Jing Young Lee, you know, it's always, you know, when you come in the Asian market, it's always like, man, who's he beating? You know. It's really hard to gauge these guys. Uh, add on the fact that like, he won his UFC debut. I actually thought he lost. I, I thought um, that his opponent did a really good job. Just kind of like there wasn't much action and just made a defensive wrestle of a lot of fight. 
when he's in space, he's an aggressive striker. He sets up his shots well with feints, short, tight shots, not many tells. Showed um, in the, his fight to you know, the road to the UFC to get to the final or whatever. Yeah, he's he's good at beating his opponents to the point of contact. I love his straight right, good power in both his hands. I like that he throws some step in knees. Weak takedown defense. We haven't seen it, you know, so far in like the road to the UFC and, and UFC debut. But he's got a bunch of. Actually, I think he's. Wait a minute, his first fight might have been a submission. I I I apologize if I'm saying if I'm no no his his very first fight on road to UFC. Uh, he armbarred his guy in like thirty seconds. Okay, yeah. So there was one, that he, and then the next one he knocked the guy out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, he he's got a lot of quick subs. Um, he lo- he's also like a story like where he loves armbars. Uh, is that the one he went belly down? I think he went belly yes. down armbar. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but he gassed a little bit in his UFC debut. So I, this is a really tough call. Um, I've already forgot who you said was the favorite. Uh, I, I Lee is it. your moderate, like slight to moderate favorite. Oh, okay. I'm surprised. I, th- I thought this would be pretty much be a pick Um I'm going with Lee. He he's, I just, I like his power. He's got good speed. I, you know, I'm going to say, I'm going to say that knockout, like, you know, he, it was that he that he has the UFC talent like that that knockout was legit. I see he picks part build on it. I don't I don't. I've never been a fan of boxers MMA. I don't think it transfers over as much as be, I think there's things that boxers do that you can get away with boxing you can't MMA. Um, and I'm gonna say that Lee makes him pay. So I think say he lands something big. I'm gonna say Lee does in the first round. Give me Lee a first round knockout. I I like what you ended on there. Because obviously I enjoy boxing. I'm, I'm not a boxing expert. I'm just a fan, but you know, I, I love watching boxing. But yeah, I've seen the Rockies. <laughs> boxing converts to MMA. I feel the same way you do. Uh, you, and you will continually harp on habits that are fine habits for boxing that are bad habits in MMA. Pillaring, being heavy on the front foot. Uh, um, builder against Kyle Nelson looked like a guy who had been figured out and didn't really have a plan B to go to. And it already, already as a 32 year old at the time, quote unquote prospect coming to the UFC, there were, there was a limited window of time because this is a guy that if he could win a few fights, win the right fights under the right lights, he could become a, a a star, like a little flash in the pan. I'm not a future contender at 145, but again, we're going to be talking about Molly McCann. He's a big talker. Yeah, he's a big yeah, talker. He's a big, he's a dude that when he was like two and oh, was cutting promos in regional shows that are better than 95% of UFC fighters can do. The guy, he's, he's a rapper. He's a better rapper than I am. He's not a great rapper. Like, <laughs> He's a rapper. I didn't know you. I didn't realize. You, you can you can find Blake's raps on YouTube. Uh, we, we didn't have like a, we should do like a scale like we you know, we did with uh who was the guy that we had went up all the way to the division. We could do that with rappers. Like where do we where do we cut them off? Oh. Like, we start with like House of Pain. Is he better than House of Pain? Then you know. <laughs> Yeah, we can do better. Yeah, you know, do it just white people. <laughs> Go out to pay just Beastie Boys. <laughs> you know, well, well then Vanilla Eminem. Ice is at the bottom. Okay, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Eminem's at the top, and like yeah. some good white rappers are, are in that upper range, and like the third base guys. But uh, Builder, he's gonna be on the on the lower end. 
has a, the kind of story of personal trial and adversity that plays really well on a UFC embedded, but he's got to win the fights. And against Nelson, he looked like a boxing convert that hadn't really fully adapted. And Lee can do a lot of the same things that Nelson did to Builder, only worse. Because as you mentioned, Lee has power and he's younger and faster. So where Kyle Nelson was just kind of rangy, like Lee is, is rangy and nasty. Uh, this should be a real fun fight. I, I think the Lee versus uh, Lee versus Yi fight. God, really going to do that to me? The Lee versus Yi fight, the the road to UFC final, that was kind of a dull fight. That is out of the norm for Jung Jung Lee. Otherwise, he's yeah, kind yeah. of a throwback Korean fighter He where he is aggressive, but yeah, fairly technically sound and just an action guy. Uh, I think he gets back to that here because B- Builder is absolutely going to oblige him with that kind of fight. And yeah, I, I favor Lee in this one as well. I could see him being a little taken aback by Builder's aggression early, like if Builder just comes straight at him, like throwing haze. But uh, Lee's, he's going to stay composed. He's going to manage the distance. He's going to make Builder pay for his defensive mistakes. Uh, I'm going to say this makes it to the final horn, but Lee pieces up Builder pretty good, wins all three rounds, uh, no question about it. Next up on the UFC Vegas 85 prelims are a pair of welterweights looking to get above 500 in the UFC as Temba Garimbo takes on Pete Rodriguez. Garimbo, the 33-year-old South African, is 11-4 overall. He is 1-1 in the UFC. Uh, He won his last time out. It was a unanimous decision over Takashi Sato at UFC Fight Night Dern versus Hill last May. He will look to make it two in a row against Rodriguez, uh, who will look to do the same. The 27-year-old Arizona native is 5-1 and one overall. He is 1-1 one and one in the UFC. Uh, he hasn't fought for a little over a year. He last fought in October of 2022, sending my good friend Mike Jackson to the dentist uh, in just about 90 seconds. So uh, some injuries, stuff going on. Kept him on the shelf for all of 2023. He is one of several fighters that we'll be able to say that about. More on that later. But uh, he steps back in here, and he is a big underdog. Uh, Garimbo is minus 250. Rodriguez plus 200. Keith, here's what I know about Pete Rodriguez, and it ain't much. I know that Pete Rodriguez is not as good as Jack De La Maddalena, and I know that <laughs> Pete Rodriguez is better than Mike the Truth Jackson. Unfortunately, that is true of all but about nine or ten welterweights on the entire planet. Uh, And that's all the people who are better than Madalena. Yeah. Like, here, that's what I know about Rodriguez. What I believe about Rodriguez is that if he has any future in in the UFC, it's not at 170. Uh, He's gotten by to this point – because one, he was expected to lose to De La Madalena, and two, just Jackson couldn't get out of his way, and he hit. He's the kind of guy that probably hits hard enough to hurt people all the way up to two hundred five. But yeah, P. Rodriguez looks like a lightweight that took a fight on short notice. He just he's he's five nine. He's a little soft. He wouldn't even be that big a lightweight. His best future lies at one fifty five, and if he loses to Garimbo. I'm, I'm betting that's where we see him next. Uh, he's just 27 and he's been on the shelf for over a year. Part of that was due to injury, but assuming he's been able to train for at least the majority of that time, there's every possibility we see 
noticeable improvements in uh, in his game. What we've seen so far is a striker with good power, decent athlete, uh, throws a surprising variety of strikes. I, like the way he walks into the, the cage, like his expression, the way he sets up, you expect that this dude's just going to come forward throwing nothing but overhand rights like some 2004 uh, wrestle boxer, but he throws flying stuff. He throws a, a good variety of kicks. Uh, while he does have good power, it's not always by overswinging. He may just be that I, I'm really, he's the, t- the temptation is to make a comparison to a, to an even more scaled down Kelvin Gastelum, you know, just kind of a, not that he's going to achieve the same things, but a guy that seems to look undersized, no matter what weight class he's in, has surprising pop, you know, uh, against Garimbo. The problem, you know, I, I did that whole little routine about how little I know about Pete Rodriguez. Cause the other problem is he's a six fight veteran and there's literally less than 10 minutes of professional fight footage. on him. <laughs> Like the end, <laughs> His longest fight was the Della Maddalena fight, which was three minutes. And again, he has like nine minutes, 35 seconds or something of total cage time in his entire career. Uh, There's just only so much you can learn about him running out and knocking out some overmatched guy with his third punch. I don't know what his ground yeah. game really looks like. But doesn't that, again, uh, doesn't that make the argument that he shouldn't be this big on a dog? Like how can they have such a strong take on a guy? Unless they're really no. high in Garimbo. Which I which I can't imagine them being because Garimbo is the definition of just another guy at welterweight. He's like you, you look at his his record. He's got a ton of submissions, but most of them are very early in his career against really overmatched guys. Um, without looking at like any bio bio any biographical information, like he fights like a guy with a judo background. Um, you know, like very judo style grappling that wouldn't surprise me at all. But in the later part of his career, and certainly since he's been to the UFC, he seems perfectly content to. Uh, duke things out on, on the feet. You know, it was really only looked to bring things to the ground when stuff's gone, not gone his way uh, on the feet. So there's every chance that Rodriguez could just catch him with something big and and floor him. Like Rodriguez does hit really hard, but I don't know that Garimbo couldn't just hold his own standing. And I think if things go to the ground again, Rodriguez's ground game is largely a mystery at this point. For all that, you know, Grimbo's highlight reel submission wise is him just twisting overmatched regional guys in Africa into pretzels. There's no indication that Rodriguez isn't at that level as a grappler. So if this thing goes to the ground, I I expect Grimbo to dominate because I know that at least he does know what he's doing down there. I'm not comfortable with him as a minus 250 favorite over anyone in the UFC at least in that weight class. Uh, but I am comfortable picking him uh, to win this. Just he's less of an unknown quantity. And, and it, I mean, if worse comes to worst, he's just going to be the the physically bigger and stronger guy. Uh, give me Garimbo and Peck. I'm going to say he 
dusts out the old the old grappling game for the first time in his uh, in his UFC career. I'm, I'm going to say he gets a, a submission in the second round. Yeah, I, I mean, like like going back to what we talked about, like I, if I'm setting a line in Vegas, like I can't have confidence in anything. I mean, I know there's like algorithms to get it to to kind of get the most money in as possible. So I think yeah. some of that's going on, but. I do think Arimbo might be getting a little bit of that, like Dwayne Rock Johnson shine his story and, you know, kind of make him a bigger name because of, you know, the rock being nice to him or something. I mean, there's, there's a lot to like about I mean, like just his, his, his length and, you know, his long lengthy guy you know, on the fees, a decent striker. I say fast hands Problem is He, he likes to brawl. He doesn't use his range that well. Uh, he throws these like wide looping punches, uh, a good kicking game. But like you said, he wants to wrestle and he, he can wrestle though. He'll often, sometimes he'll dive from at his opponent's legs from very far away without a setup. But if he gets on top, he's, he's got good control uh, though. I have seen him stall at times. and kind of, kind of be boring. Um, when he lets his hands go, you know, from the top, he's got good ground upon, but you mentioned he's got six subs on his record. So that's his biggest threat to, uh, Rodriguez again Rodriguez yeah I can write all these notes about him but you know usually the way I do tape study is when I watch a guy I, I write like a little note but that doesn't mean it's like set in stone like so I'm like oh I get work on a jab I, like I want to see that two or three fights and work on a jab then I kind of like okay like he really does that not oh he, he throws one spinning move in, in one match and also I'm writing you know he looks spinning attacks the problem with Rodriguez is exactly what you said. The fights are end so quick that it's really hard to be like, well, is that, yeah, that's what he does. You know, like, <laughs> it reminds me of my friend. I have a friend who like, he does something once and he's always like, talks about how he, how he does things. It's like, dude, you went, you went like surfing one time. Like, you know, like and he has to like give like, oh, you know, the way I do it. It's like, Dude, you surfed about 10 minutes longer than I did. So um, that's how I feel like I think I would say about Rodriguez. Like, if, I, I don't know. He, he's, you know, what I've seen of him, he's a, he's aggressive striker. He constantly switches stances. He's got tight boxing. Uh, he, he actually fights behind a Philly shell style defense. Uh, because of that, he doesn't move his head enough. And that's why Madalena had a lot of uh, success. Uh, you really, when you do the Philly shell, you're really relying on that lead hand, like, like, um, you know, blocking with the lead hand. Uh, when he attacks, he cuts angles well. I like that. Uh, I love that he works the body. Uh, he switches stances in mid combination, which I really love. He hits really hard. I mean, he's got four first round stoppages. Uh, he crushed Mike Jackson with a step in knee to the body. Uh, he's got some really heavy leg kicks. Ground game. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't seen any of it. So uh, I definitely think Garimbo should have an advantage. I, I, I mean, I'm assuming Garimbo has an advantage there. Uh, I am also worried about his about his cardio, Rodriguez, because, you know, he's he hasn't gone past the first round in, in I don't think, any fight. <laughs> so, uh, like I said, I haven't seen Rodriguez's ground game, so that makes me really want to take Garimbo. Uh, he will shoot for takedowns. I like Rodriguez's boxing, what I've seen. I mean, it's tight. It's got power. I've actually flip-flopped on this fight because of Rodriguez being such an unknown. And, like, I'm not going to pretend like I'm some expert on Gribbo either. So I'm going to say screw it. I'm going to go with him, dog. I'm going to say Rodriguez catches him with a shot. I'm going to say Rodriguez knocks him out in the second round. 
Second from the top on the UFC Fight Night 235 undercard is a men's flyweight matchup between undefeated prospect Azat Maksum and Charles Johnson. Maksum, the 28-year-old from Kazakhstan, is a perfect 17-0 as a mixed martial artist. He is a perfect 1-0 in the UFC. He made his debut last July at the Holm versus Bueno Silva fight night card, taking a yeah, close, very close split decision over Tyson Nam. He will look to keep his record spotless at the expense of Johnson, who steps in on fairly short notice for Nate Manis. Uh, Johnson, 33-year-old Missouri native, is 13-6 and six overall. He is 2-4 and four in the UFC. He is on a three-fight losing streak. Those coming against Oday Osborne. I cannot talk. Those coming against Ode Osborne, Cody Durden, and Rafael Estevam. The most recent of those, the Estevam fight, was back in November. Uh, this fight was a pretty late addition to the card in general. It was only announced the second week of December, and then within a week or so after that, Manus was out and Johnson was in. So it's not it's not as though Maxum has two more months. Uh, of, of training on, on Johnson for this one, but he is nonetheless a strong favorite. He's minus 200 Johnson plus 165 on the comeback. As I mentioned during the intro, Maxum and Ali Ashkab Kizriev, who opens or fights on the main card are about as unsung a pair of undefeated fighters as there are in the UFC right now. And the reasons why are obvious in both cases with Kizriev, it's because he fights once every three years uh, with Maxum. <laughs> yeah. One, there's the Shavkat Rachmanov thing. If you're a regular old dude from Kazakhstan, you don't speak any English. It's going to take the public a little while to warm up to you. But what, what Shavkat Rachmanov had in his favor was, he was slicing through people, just absolutely demolishing everybody and then putting on his awesome wolf hat until fans could no longer ignore him. Whereas yeah. Maxum came really damn close to losing to 40 year old Tyson Nam last July. Uh, like you and I both like Tyson Nam. I think we probably both think he's a little underrated, but yeah. when 40 year old Tyson Nam takes you to a split decision by being more durable than you and, and winning the third round and having you in all kinds of trouble. That ain't a good look for an up and coming prospect, especially at flyweight uh, flyweight where almost everybody is durable and almost everybody has great cardio. Uh, that could just be the fabled octagon jitters. I'm interested to see what he has to offer here against Johnson, because what I saw out of Maxum in that fight Nam is a power puncher. You know, he's got swings hard on everything. And Maxum just completely stymied him for most of two rounds by just keeping a jab in his face. Uh, against Johnson, he's going to be going against a guy who's even taller than him with probably better reach, who also likes to jab. So I'll, I'll be interested to see how he reacts to that. The way Nam seemed to turn the tables on him was he kept chopping him up with leg kicks. Maxum couldn't seem to do much about it. It started to slow him down. And then once it started to slow him down, Nam started catching him with some of those power punches. And that's when he, you know, he was rocked in the third round, definitely lost the third round, may have lost the second. That's less of what I would expect out of Johnson. He's not a, a kill shot artist. And while he throws good kicks, he's not the just Edson Barboza hack at your front leg type guy. Uh, I think this is a favorable matchup for Maxum. I think Nate Manus honestly would have been as well. 
I'm cautiously confident that he outlasts Johnson here, takes a decision. I I don't know that I'm super high on Maxum as a prospect, but he's going to need to show some durability and gas because if he does stick around and keep winning fights at flyweight, he's probably going to win a lot of decisions is, is my thought. So he better bring it with like the durability, the cardio, the ability to make uh, adjustments later in a fight that he didn't show against Nam. I'm cautiously going with Maxum by decision here and just uh, hoping to, you know, see some improvement from his last fight. Yeah, um, this is an intriguing matchup. I think it's a better matchup than and Nate Manis. Um, I mean, Johnson doesn't have a good UFC record, but when you look at who he's lost to, like he's lost to four good guys. You know, a couple of them like really good. You know, and like, several on short notice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I mean, he's a fun fighter. He's a good athlete. He he moves well. He's you know he's pretty elusive. Uh, constantly darting back and forth between stances. Kickboxer. He's a slipper up guy. Uh, but he also rolls with punches too. Uh, because of the rolling, he he doesn't like being pressured. Um, he hated the pressure in a, in a win against Zumagulov. Uh, he likes to work the body. He will wrestle a lot. He gets a lot of takedowns. But it's funny, and I, I say this a lot. So many guys are good offense wrestler, but do I swear they don't work on their defensive wrestling? Because um, and, and I know defense, it really is different. Like people just assume offense wrestling is defense wrestling. Defense wrestling is a lot about balance and hip position and pressure. And so there, there's a reason why that this guys are some guys are good wrestler, good offense wrestlers, and, and weaker defense wrestlers. Where offense wrestlers are more about explosive, turning the corner, the strength. You know, it, it is a lot different. Uh, but to to Johnson's credit, he's been taking down a lot, but he's hard to hold down. He's he gets up pretty well. Uh, Maxim. Good movement. Uh, he also switches stances a lot. He's he sets up his shots really well with feints. He's got fast hands. You mentioned it. He's got a great jab. Throws straight shots down the pipe. Good snap on his shot. He's got a little bit of power, uh, though. He sometimes he will overthrow his shots. Uh, the the way Nam won a, a scorecard was pressuring late in rounds and kind of stealing rounds. Uh, I thought it was a decisive 29-28. For Maxim, I was surprised that anybody uh, had Nam winning, but uh, still, you know, you, you when you're a top prospect, you want to like a flawless showing. Uh, he is open to leg kicks. That's something that Nam had success. He can wrestle. He's got some good entries, though he will shoot without a setup, which seems like kind of been the theme for this this card. I, I keep saying, uh, but if he gets to fight the guard. He's got six subs on his record. I just think Johnson, man, I, I think he always gets the wrong call, like, you know, the wrong opponent. And I, I just think it's the same now. Like He's not getting many softballs. I mean, I, th- I think that's flyweight altogether, probably. You know, there's not many easy victories in, at flyweight. Um, I, I like Maxim here. I, I, I think he's just better than Johnson everywhere. I think he pieces him up with quicker hands. I think he gets, t- you know, if he gets, you know, if he gets wrestling, it's going to be him getting a takedown or two. So give me Maxim by decision. The top prelim at UFC Fight Night 235 is a strawweight matchup between Meatball Molly McCann and Deanna the Warrior Princess Belbitsa. All right, man. Molly McCann. So late 2022, she was one of the most enjoyable stories and <laughs> I know exactly where you're going with this. <laughs> I, I'm going exactly. And I'm about to quote you several times. She was one of the most enjoyable stories 
breakthrough stars for the UFC of the year. And it was due down to two main things. One, despite never having really shown much one-shot power for her career, she got back-to-back highlight reel knockouts with spinning stuff. That's the first part. Second is that she did both of them in the packed O2 arena in London, where if she had done those in the apex, we wouldn't be talking about her the same way right now, but her and her buddy, Patty mm-hmm. Pimblett carrying each other yep. around the cage, crushing cups, plastic cups of beer together and yeah. just enjoying the moment while the place came unglued was a star making moment. And after the second of them, the, uh, the Hannah Goldie one, you said, okay, I'm going to paraphrase you, but okay, we've got a decent but limited fighter that's never going to be a champ, but she's becoming a star. Why would you do anything with her but put her in winnable fights in England until the wheels fall off? So what does the UFC do? They book her against grappling specialists in her next two fights. Oh, and one of them within a reasonable Uber drive of her opponent's house. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. and an Uber prospect. Yeah. Uber drive from an Uber prospect's house. (laughs) And okay. So it's now 18 months later, two first round submission losses later. And now the UFC appears to be ready to do what it should have done in fall of 2022. Cause they've got her in a fight against a fellow striker. Who's going to probably oblige her with a stand up battle. And Oh, by the way, it's someone that she beat the brakes off four years, uh, four years ago. Uh, I mean, let's introduce these two and then we'll, we'll talk about the fight. Uh, McCann, 33 year old from Liverpool, 13 and six overall seven and five in the UFC. That's all at flyweight McCann has, uh, reacted to the two fight losing streak by dropping to straw weight. The UFC has responded by giving her an opponent that she already fought at flyweight because they have such a sense of humor. Uh, Bell beats a 27 year old Romanian, 15 and eight overall two and four in the UFC, which doesn't sound great, but it's worth noting she's two and two since dropping the straw weight herself uh, has alternated wins and losses, but lost most recently. She took on Carolina Kovalkiewicz at fight night, Dawson versus green in October, dropping a unanimous decision to the uh, resurgent poll. McCann is an overwhelming favorite here without looking. She might be the biggest favorite on the card. She's minus 300 bell beats is plus two twenty five, And okay. On some level, I get it. They fought at flyweight McCann beat her to the tune of unanimous 30, 26 scorecards. She really, really hammered her in, in the second round. And bell beats is not a particularly different fighter since then, but this is this is Meatball Molly dropping to one twenty, uh, dropping to one fifteen for the first time, trying to become I, I don't know turkey meatball, tofu tofu meatball, <laughs> Mo- Molly. Uh, it's, it's, hard, it's hard for me to have three to one confidence for in her in in her straw weight debut. Like, what if she comes out and starts hammering Belbiza and then just gasses out miserably in six minutes? Like, I I uh, I don't know. Like. I favor McCann here because both of these women are essentially the same fighters they were four years ago. Uh, McCann was already a fully formed product in 2019 or whenever that was. And Belbita was a prospect who just really has not improved much. You know, Belbita was a pretty good kickboxer. She's now a kickboxing convert to MMA. She's, I think, been an MMA fighter longer than she was a kickboxer. 
but just she got all all the same habits, all the same limitations. Dropping the 115 hasn't especially helped. I mean, it's made her even taller and rangier compared to most of the women she fights, but still just not physically strong despite being a former kickboxer doesn't seem to have the the footwork to keep women off her who either want to clinch, want to take her down, or just want to back her into the cage. And I think McCann probably just crowds her into the cage, uh, fights with her at boxing range, mugs, dirty boxes. I think a lot of this fight probably takes place where McCann wants, which, you know, under normal circumstances is within that warning track and, and the cage. I could see McCann taking Belbitza down. Belbitza's takedown defense is terrible. Um, and despite McCann presenting as like, you know, a, the kind of English brawler that kind of like slaps their own face on, on the walk down, uh, you know, she's pretty effective from, uh, you know, from top position. I, I have McCann by decision here. And this is just a weird fight, man. Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, this is, um, this is really, you're right. It's absolutely right. Everything about this fight is weird. I think UC is, you know, Dana White and the boys, they've done obviously an incredible job. And, and when you started the show saying we're professional and we don't work for UFC and this and that, you know, when, when it comes to like media, there's some people that are, love to criticize UFC. There's some that are like absolute fanboys. I, I, I think we are more down the center. But if I had to like say I'm on one side, I'd say I'm probably more of a fanboy than usually I think than a critic but their treatment of molly mccann they're they're like they had a star on the like they were like david portnoy was following her around and there was like all the celebrity i think it was like soccer players tweeting about her and and uh um who there's yeah, she and patty got a tv show yeah they like she went from that to two fights later fighting on the prelims of an apex cod a bad apex card. Like she yeah. wouldn't even, I remember her last fight. They didn't have her entrance on there. Like, what are you doing? Um, listen, she's she's not a good fighter. She's not. Like she, she's a good fighter. Obviously, she's in UFC, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. she's not fighting. She's, yeah. she's I'm not, not, I mean, she, she's she's one of the 30 or 40 best yeah. in in the sport. She's not a bad fighter. She just if the UFC was like the PFL where you have to like win in advance and all that, like she would have won. You know, um, she wouldn't be a favorite if we were ranking the people in the division, but that's not how the UFC's ran. Like you can market them and and to to a sense, like you can you can protect them so far. But what they did with it was 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 I thought really really bad. They they crushed a star in the making. Um, and I'll say this about Molly McCann: I love Molly McCann. I met her a couple times. She is like her personality is like. Is is a breath of fresh air. She's so much fun. Like, if, if if she was my neighbor, like I'd be like smashing bears with Molly McCann, and I'm wrestling her, and she'd beat me and stuff. Like, <laughs> um, this is be a cool ass check, you know. And uh, I like her. I I want her to do well. Nothing against Bill, Del Vita. I I'm just talking about the market. I thought the UFC PR did the marketing, they, I, the matchmakers, and everybody who decided the road for. Her, and, and why she isn't on the main card, I don't know. Um, why isn't she fighting in a live crowd? I don't know. Um, I just whatever. Anyways, I, I mean, I, I guess it's the purity part. Like they knew what she was, and why, why, why fake it? I don't know. I, I would have faked it. 
I'll say this. Molly McCann's a better athlete than I, than I credited for when she first started. Uh, she can fight out of both stances. She's a high-volume striker. I said it before. All of her movement is a little bit of this, like, quake Guida thing going on where she's it, it makes it difficult for opponents to kind of pick up her time because she's moving all over the place. Uh, she has a very in-and-out darting style. Uh, she loves to dart in the pocket and then let her hands go. Like I said, I think she had better speed in her hands than I thought. Uh, she has some plus power. That's because she sits on her punches. That spinning attacks, yeah, they were fun, and, and they were spectacular the way they happened. I don't trust it. I, I still think it's a bad thing, but, I mean, you got at least, you know, two two fights in a row, you got to at least put, like, a little check mark on that. Uh, the, 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 she also had some really bad shows. I mean, Talia uh, Santos destroyed over team kicks. Um, if she closes the distance, she can use her strength and wear down as opponents in the clinch. Uh, that is a concern moving down a weight, like how much would that drain her instead of her opponent. Uh, but when she gets in that position, she's a pretty good close quarter striker. I'd say she's above average wrestler. Uh, but again, and I've said this over, it's really bad takedown defense. I mean, she got taken down 16 times so far in her UFC losses. Uh, she's been subbed in back-to-back fights. Uh, what I do like is she has good cardio to go all 15 if, if it's a decision. But, again, that's upper weight class. We'll see how that affects her going down. Uh, but, you know, she's a K1 kickboxing-style fighter, very stationary target. Uh, good volume, works behind a jab, uh, keeps her power shots straight. Nice, um, you know, nice straight right down the pipe. Uh, mixes kicks and punches in together. Really good kicking game, but she doesn't check leg kicks. Uh, if she gets the plum clinch, she's good there. She looks for sweeps and stuff, but not much of an offense wrestling game. Uh, I mean, I saw her hit a headlock on Carolina Kovacavich for what that's worth, but really weak takedown defense. Uh, I mean, she's been taking down four straight fights. She got taken down and battered by Molly McCann in the first fight, and she has four submission losses. So, you know, there's a couple of factors in this fight that, that makes me more interested in this fight than I did years ago. Um, one, McCann kind of getting that star thing going since then, but – the other factors are, you know, how much has Belita improved specifically on the ground and how will the good weight cut affect McCann? I I think Belita has the advantage on the field. I mean, I know she has she's a cleaner boxer. That doesn't mean, you know, McCann can make a, a brawl and that'll help her. But I haven't seen anything to think that she's improved on the ground. So I'm going to go with McCann again. I'm expecting McCann to make it look a lot like the first fight. I expect her to close the distance, like you said, wear on her, get the fight to the ground, win by ground and pound. Uh, no, beat her up with ground and pound. And I said she does it for all 15 minutes. Like, give me McCann by decision. The six-fight main card of UFC Fight Night 235 opens with a welterweight clash between Gilbert Urbina and Charlie Radke. Urbina, the 27-year-old from Texas's Rio Grande Valley, is seven and two overall. He is one and one since joining the UFC as the kind of surprise short notice runner up of the 29th season of the Ultimate Fighter. He is, of course, the third Urbina brother to compete on the Ultimate Fighter. That's a record that will probably stand forever. Uh, his older brother Hector made it to the UFC. His other older brother Elias did not, but uh, he's made it to the UFC, and with a win on Saturday, he officially becomes the most successful of the three. Uh, trying to stop him in that attempt will be Radke. Uh, Radke, 33-year-old uh, Chicago native, is 8-3 and three overall. He is 1-0 since joining the UFC as the outgoing CFFC welterweight champ. He debuted 
at UFC 293 in September, took a unanimous decision over Mike Blood Diamond Mathetha in a weird, ugly, and extremely foul-plagued fight. Uh, he'll look to make it two in a row here, hopefully without taking a half dozen clean nut shots. Uh, he is not favored to get it done, at least the winning part. Urbina is minus 210, Radke plus 170. Keith, we just finished talking about Pete Rodriguez and how little we know about him thanks to his relatively short body of work. Uh, all I know about Charlie Radke is I hope he already has as many kids as he wants because he did stymie Blood Diamond, but half of half of Blood Diamond's significant shots were straight to the cup. It got so bad that a UFC ref actually took a point for it. Uh, tell me how you think this fight goes. I won't even ask you about contender upside in a, a clash of two kind of, you know, middling uh, welterweight yeah. comers. But uh, yeah, t- tell me how you think this one goes. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a fun fight. Like, you know, I, I, I don't think it'll be boring. Uh, Arbina, I mean, say what you want about him. Again, it, it, very limited upside, but you know, he's fun. He's got high output. Um, can fight out of both stances. His hands are pretty quick. He's got plus power. Uh, drops his hands, keeps his chin eye in the air, things I, I don't like. Uh, but I like his kicks. Uh, well, I, I shouldn't say I like his kicks because he throws a lot of them naked, but he, he, I like his volume of kicks. He throws a lot of kicks. Uh, he will wrestle. He'll look to fight to get to fight the ground. But again, he isn't a wrestler. So, I know. I'm, I'm, I sound like a broken record. It seems like every single fighter is the same person. I just copied the same nose and changed the name on the top. Uh, but uh, yeah, he does have two subs on his record, so I like that. Uh, Radke, yeah, he's he's a big welterweight. That's the one thing that stood out to me when he gets blood down. Like he's big, strong guy, pretty well rounded, decent striker, throws straight uh, strikes down the pipe. He's got nice power. Like, say what you, I mean, Blood Diamond was obviously the more dynamic striker in, in the avenue for victory for Radke was take the fight to the ground. But he actually did hurt Blood Diamond with a, with a shot on the feet. Uh, I like his left hook. He's got some hard kicks. Uh, but he's been rocked a lot, um, even against uh, Blood Diamond briefly. Uh, he closes distance well, but not much of a wrestler. He's a weak defensive wrestler. He has a, a submission. He got, he got a couple subs on his record. Uh, and I've seen some pretty good back takes. This is a tough fight because, yeah, I think it's fun. I'm not very high on either. Like to me, I don't think either one of these guys will have a very long run in the UFC. I, I think the guys are pretty similar. I'm going to go with Arbita. He has faced a better competition. I think he's a little faster. Uh, definitely, I like his kicking game better. Uh, better grappler I th- from what I've seen. Though I, I, th- I think Raki might be the the harder hitter. Um, so. You know, it was kind of like, oh, man, I'm not feeling very confident either, but I, I'm going to go with a guy that has more avenues for victory. So I'll say Urbina by decision. Yeah, I don't – I definitely don't have anything to contradict that, and I don't even have that much to add to it. I, I'll i never say never. I, Urbina is 27 years old all the time in the world, but what he's shown so far, at best he tops out at just – just another guy at, at welterweight, you know, maybe just another guy with some entertaining fights that racks up a, a few bonuses. Yeah. Welterweight's got plenty of those. Uh, where Radke, everything about this fight feels like a throwback because Radke just feels very much like, you know, you remember in the, in the 2000s, just every UFC card had a couple of Midwest guys that made it to the UFC that were 
limited striker, strong as an ox, and would get you know a impressive knockout or, or two, and then just be really outclassed by the the top talents of the day. And then on the other side, Urbina's oldest brother was on tough 19 like literally i think 11 years ago at this point so this just feels like a fight that like a a fight that was just plucked out of a a ufc card 10 or 15 years ago i definitely have more hope for urbina you mentioned radke's already 33 he's already he's not fully chinny but He's getting rocked a lot, even in his victories, even over opponents who are manifestly not UFC level. Where Urbina, he lost to Brian Battle. Both guys subsequently dropped 170 pounds. So I, I think it's still valid to to take that uh, fight into consideration. But Brian Battle's a pretty damn good fighter. And he took the appropriate approach to beating Orion Kosi. Like, Orion's the better of the Kosi brothers, but it still survived the storm. Wait seven minutes for him to get tired, put on the spurs. He was smart enough to do that. And that leads me to believe that in a fight like this, where neither guy is a super high level prospect, Urbina is more likely to, you know, if he sees the avenue to victory, take it. I don't think he's going to. I don't think he's going to easily let himself get drawn into the kind of toe-to-toe brawl that gives Radke his best chance of landing fight-changing offense. If Radke lands fight-changing offense, it's probably because Urbina threw a kick without any setup. Uh, But I'm not picking that as my main possibility. I I think Urbina manages to avoid disaster on the feet, get the better of at least two out of three rounds here, and win an entertaining decision over Radke. Next up on the UFC Vegas 85 main card is a middleweight matchup between Ali Ashkab Kizriev and Mahmoud Muradov. Kizriev, the 33-year-old Russian, is a perfect 12-0 as a professional mixed martial artist. He is a perfect 1-0 since joining the UFC out of Dana White's Contender Series. That sounds great until you realize that he was on season four of the Contender Series in late 2020. Uh, the man... This is his first fight since March 2022, so almost two full years. Uh, his UFC debut was at UFC on ESPN Blades versus Dawkus, uh, and he choked oh, out uh, Dennis Chalulin. And even that was 18 months oh. from when he fought on the Contender Series in September of 2020. And before that, it had been two and a half years since his last fight in Russia. I'm not saying it's been a long time, but that last fight in Russia was against Ruzumar Palhares. Like, <laughs> this guy, I remember this guy being a hot 27-year-old prospect, and he's now 33. He's still undefeated. He's back. And in between his Contender Series win and the Chalulum win, and now uh, he's filled the whole bingo card of ways you can have a fight canceled. He has fallen out of fights. His opponents have fallen out of fights. We're talking about 2021, so we had one canceled due to COVID protocols. Just, again, the full bingo card. He is about as unlucky a man as you'll find in the 185-pound division, but uh, he's going to try to keep the keep the momentum going here against Muradov, who's had a little bit of bad luck of his own. Uh, also 33 years old. He's from Uzbekistan. He's 26-8 and eight overall. He is 4-2 and two in the UFC. He won his last time out 
Uh, he took a unanimous decision over Brian Barbarena at UFC London last July. That allowed him to snap a two-fight losing streak against Gerald Mearshart and Kyle Bahalio. This uh, fight, Muradov is your underdog. He is plus 150. Kizriev minus 180 as your favorite. Man, this is something I feel like I say all the time about lightweight. And I never thought I'd say it about middleweight. Because the thing about lightweight is it's such fast-moving traffic that just winning all your fights isn't enough. If you... If you drop out of too many fights due to injury, if you stay on the shelf too long, you're going to get passed by faster moving traffic. I mean, think about Habib Nurmagomedov. How long did it take him to get to a title shot? And it wasn't because he lost. It was because he didn't win often enough. Just he was never the guy because he kept having to pull out or occasionally his opponents would pull out of his most important fights. You wouldn't normally think that at 185 just because 185, it's a thinner division. It's wide open. But Kizriev has managed to do it because he's fought three times in the last six years. It's hard to believe on some levels that he's still only 33. I was kind of shocked that these guys are the same age because one, Muradov looks 10 years older. He's got one grizzled ass face. He's like the, the Uzbekistani uh, Francisco Trinaldo. And then just because Kizriev has spent so long on the shelf, I, I gave, I gave up being, I gave up being discouraged or disappointed about this like by the time of the Tululan fight, like I was really excited to see him in the UFC by 2019 or so didn't make it to the contender series till 2020. And now, I mean, he could still make a run. It's 185. you know, 33 isn't ancient, but considering how many of these withdrawals were due to his own injuries, that's a, that's a concern as well. Uh, I will ask you on, on this one, since both these guys have a little bit of heft behind them, do you see any kind of top 15 upside in either guy? Who do you think wins on Saturday and how? Yeah, I actually think there's outside 15 upside on both guys. Um, I, th- I think this is I, one of and, the, and honestly, I, I shouldn't have phrased it that way. Cause Muradov may even have going into the Mearshart fight. He may even have been on the UFC's top 15. And if he'd beaten Mearshart, he probably would have been on ours. So yeah. Yeah. yeah um, this this is a really fun fight. This this is one, you know, if I'm looking at the card, I might be most intrigued by because of the question marks about um, um, Kerzarov. I'm, I'm sorry, I know I'm butchering this. How, how to say his name? Um, you know, he he's a southpaw, a pressure striker. He fights behind a high god. Really tight, clean boxing. Now again, what we've seen and a lot of these things could change. He can be improved for as far as we know. But, um, you know, I'm going best, you know, lack of um, frequency that we see this guy. So, I mean, take him for what it's worth. Uh, what I've seen him, he's really good at picking up his opponent's timing. He targets the body. He gets inside, and he's looking for stepping knees and slicing elbows. Really good kicking game, especially to the legs. Good wrestler. Gets on top. Mean ground and pound. He's got four subs on his record. Muradov. Um, I mean, I've, this is the guy we've, we've broken down a lot, and it's just the thing that always stands out to me is how great of an athlete he moves well, great footwork. Uh, he can fight out of both stances. He flows seamlessly from position to position. On the feet, he's a technical striker. Uses feints well uh, to set up his counters. Nice jab. Loves his overhand right. Works the body. Has has really good punching power. Uh, he can trust his chin a little too much and drops his hands and, and relies solely on head move, which I don't like. Uh, but 
very what I said mentioned athletically, he'll throw like a flying knee. He used to ignore his wrestling, but he got 15 takedowns in his last two fights. Uh, so it's, it, that's just going to open up his opportunities. Now, and Fantas, 13 of them came against Brian Barberino, and like my nine year old son might be able to take down Brian Barberino. I, I mean, he's the worst wrestler in UFC, like modern UFC history. Well, I, th- I think when you fight him, you start like they start your your tally at six yeah. and it, you go from there. They start the referee's position. You're on top. <laughs> <laughs> they just pick like I, I take top. <laughs> um, uh, you know, he, he's, he's shown some solid takedown defense himself and he showed some good sub def- defense against uh, Bahiro. I think this is an amazing matchup. Uh, I, I think both guys are, are two of the better guys in the division. Even though Morado's been around, uh, I think they're two dark horses in the division. Like I, I don't expect, especially Morado to win a title because at this point we, we know where he is. But in that division, it's it's not on the realm of, of possibility. Uh, like, like, I'm not picking it, so slow down. Yeah. But um, both are well rounded. You know, I think this is a step up for Kizrioff. Am, am I saying that name, Kizrioff? Kizriev, yeah. Yeah, Kizriev. Uh, I think it's definitely a step up in competition and with having long setbacks, that's that's concerning. I'm still going to go with him. I mean, I, I I think he's still, even at 33, one of the best prospects in the, in the UFC and, and in the division. Yeah, I mean, he's not Bo Nickel, so like, let's not get that excited. But you know, he's, he's someone I like. I think we both have – I think we have both guys have moments. I think we have a back-and-forth action – but the edge uh, where I think he can still win the takedown battle, I think he wins a close nod. Give me Kizrov to stay undefeated. Kizrov by decision. Yeah, I'm I'm with you here. Uh, there is still time for Kizrov. Like I said, 33 years old, and I guess the upside of having pulled out of so many fights is that he doesn't have as much tread off the tires as maybe another fighter of his same age might if he's anything like he was, he is still an exciting addition to this division. It's not like he's a 33 year old flyweight who spent most of the last six years on the shelf. That's more of a concern. And I agree that Muradov is a really good fighter, but we've kind of seen his ceiling. Yeah. He had the back-to-back losses in the UFC against Mearshard. He got Mearsharded. He was winning that fight handily got clocked, took his back in a flash, choked out. That, that's what Gerald Mearshart does. Uh, uh, against Bahalia, he, he lost a competitive fight to a guy that was a younger, bigger, more athletic version of himself. Like, I, I, I think he loses to Bahalia again if they fight, you know, later, later this year. The problem for me is I didn't learn anything from him wiping the canvas with Barbarana for 15 minutes. I... Uh, this, these are two really good fighters, but it's better for the UFC if Kizriev shines here, I, I, I think. I mean, obviously, he's, he's the undefeated fighter. It wouldn't take much to get the hype machine cranking back up. There are a lot of unknowns here. Again, we're going on two years since we've seen this guy in the cage, but I'm going with him being a close enough facsimile of the guy that trashed Dennis Tululin that he's got enough to get by Muradov. I'll take Kizriev by decision as well here. The UFC Fight Night 235 main card moves back to the women's flyweight division for a clash between Viviani Araujo and Natalia Silva. 
Araujo, the 37-year-old Brazilian, is 12-5 and overall. She is 6-4 and in the UFC. She did win her last time out. It was a unanimous decision over Jennifer Maia at the Yusuf versus Barboza fight night in October. Prior to that, she had back-to-back losses to Alexa Grasso and Amanda Hibas. She will try to make it two wins in a row against the rising Silva. Uh, Silva, 26 years old, also Brazilian, 16-5-1 overall. She is... 4-0 and in the UFC and on a 10-fight win streak overall, uh, certainly an exciting new addition to this kind of fleet of rising flyweights in uh, the UFC. Uh, she fought most recently at UFC 292 back in August, where she took a unanimous decision over Andrea Lee. So she's looking to make it five in a row in the UFC, 11 in a row overall, Araujo more than a decade her senior is trying to prove that she still belongs in the top 10 slash top five slash title discussion the odds makers or at least the betters who determine their lines are definitely siding with the younger woman here as i was wrong before silva is the biggest favorite on the card she is minus 350 Araujo plus 250 on the comeback There's both of these women's records are a little deceptive. When I say that Viviani Araujo is six and four in the UFC, that doesn't sound great, but she's been fighting good to very good yeah. fighters from right out the gate. And yeah. it's it's a pretty clear defining line. She's lost to the elite or near elite ones and beaten everyone else. Like, I mean, considering the timing of it. Her worst loss is probably to Amanda Hibas last March, and that's not that bad. Hibas is like a borderline top 10 woman in two divisions. And maybe, maybe just a guy. Well, just a guy in 2019, I don't think was as bad. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I, that's not aged well. But at the time, Jessica, I was, you know, still like a, a good fighter. But and then. Honestly, Maya might be her, her best win. Like she might be coming into this off her best win. So yeah, while. I'm about to make the case that Araujo is falling off and she's about to start falling off really fast. Keep in mind that the facts of the matter that she's coming off of maybe her best win in the UFC (laughs) directly contradict what I'm about to tell you. Uh, Araujo is, I mean, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see her picture right beneath me. It's not deceptive. She is built like a tank. Uh, She's a good athlete, strong as an ox. uh, And for most of her UFC run has has leveraged that well. Like she hits with, with power. She's not a conventional wrestler, but she's a decent wrestler just on strength and athleticism. And for a woman who's six and four in the, in the UFC, she's ranged fairly close to the title picture on a couple of occasions. So yeah, I think her, her record is deceptive there. Same thing for Silva. You look at Silva and she's 16, five and one, but she debuted as a professional at age 18 and she went one and three in her first four fights and could have been zero and four because she won by DQ in a fight that she was losing. Like she could have started her career 0-4 and maybe she wouldn't even be in the UFC right now because she would have gone and found something else to do with her life. Uh, But the real Natalia Silva, the one that's relevant to this this fight that's happening on Saturday is on a 10-fight win streak. She's looking better every time out and she's still just 26. Physically, she's almost the new model of Araujo. She's, you know, compact, powerful, I think she's faster and more athletic. I think she's probably just as strong. Uh, She hits 
hard. She throws a good variety of strikes. She's she has lapses defensively that I'm sure if Keith agrees with me, he's going to be able to explain those better than, than I will. But against the level of competition she's been facing so far, her aggression, power, and athleticism have been enough to carry the day. Araujo represents a huge step up from Victoria, Leonardo, and Andrea Lee. That's, that's, I, so, you know, I, I like this matchmaking. And I'm, I imagine Keith likes it as well because if, if Silva wins, this is very much the UFC feeding the old lions to the, to the young lions. The problem with Araujo is I think she is starting to slip. Like she's her, she's getting rocked. She's getting hurt easier. Um, Just the durability isn't what it was just a few fights ago the gas tank may not be what it was a, a few fights ago. And her gas tank was never great, but it was always good enough. Like, I don't remember her losing any fights specifically because she gassed out horribly and, and just got rolled over in, in the third round. But it's getting to the point where those things are becoming a problem. And against someone like Silva, who's got the motor that she has, I think this is just tailor-made for Silva to maybe even hold her own in the early going, but just pick up momentum as the fight goes along and really take it to Araujo later on. Uh, I think she can probably beat Araujo to the punch, but I would be interested to see if, if she just tries to take her down and, and work her over on the ground. Uh, give me Silva here in a dominant decision. And if things go like I'm thinking they will, maybe even like a late stoppage on the ground, but uh, I'll go with the decision. Yeah. Um, the issue with Adarujo is is exactly said. Like I'm, I'm worried about her age, and, and she's always been a great athlete, very elusive, um, moves well, counters well. Uh, but she relies on speed and explosion. And at her age, I'm so concerned that it could leave at any time. And uh, I mean, she uses feints well to set up her counterattack. She's got quick hands. She targets the body. Good kicking game. Uh, she likes her calf kicks. The issue is she doesn't really mix her punches and kicks together. It's either she's boxing or she's kickboxing, uh, not doing both. And she kind of – she – like you see some of her fights. Like she didn't check leg kicks against Jessica I, but she's also one who doesn't change a game plan. Like she's – this is what I'm going to do to win. And then when it's not working, she doesn't go to like plan B, which is which has been a concern. Uh, she – her head movement is starting to slow down, which is why her durability – uh, seems to be waning. Um, I still think her best strength is is her ground game. She's got some really solid entries. Uh, she struggled to get Alexa Grosso down, but that that aged so well. If she gets the fight to the ground, very good top game, good uh, control, good grappling. I mean, she was taking the back of Andrew Lee, which is pretty good. Uh, another thing I am concerned about is, is her gas tank. She has gassed out in the past. Um, Natalia Silva... You know, definitely one of the best prospects going in the in the entire UFC. Great athlete. She moves really well. She can fight out of both stances. High volume striker. Very technically sound. Sets up her shots with feints well. Quick hands. Accurate. Attacks with combos. Uh, I, I love her check left hook. She showed good power against Victoria Leonardo. Uh, she showed athleticism with her spinning attacks. I mean, fantastic kicking game. Some of the best high kicks in, in all of MMA. She can throw the high kick from both stances as she's switching. Uh, she has some defenses. She still keeps her chin really high in the air. Um, 
But that's really it. I mean, she's a good wrestler. She gets to fight to the ground. She either tries to catch a kick or she gets to the clinch and looks for some upper bodies, good throws. Great takedown defense against Jasmine Jasvigius, which is a really solid win that has aged really well, too. Uh, I mean, she hit it with a wizard kick, which was nice, uh, which was taken down against Teresa Blada. She swept her. Uh, good ground and pound. Uh, she's she's really shown that she is a submission artist, and she's done some really good cardio against Andrew Lee. Uh, you know, this is a great matchup. This is, is, is definitely a step up in competition for Silva. I don't think she should be the biggest favorite on the card because of Ana Rujo still has tools, especially if she can turn it, you know, she can get Silva to the ground and, 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 you know, be a top side grappler. Uh, and, you know, she's faced some killers. So I guess it's a little bit of they're, they're all, you know, the betting line is, you know, the odd makers are all in on Silva and kind of also adding in the Ana Rujo is faded. If one of those aren't true, then this line is off. If, if Ana Rujo isn't completely faded, this line is off. If, Silver isn't completely the next big thing. This line is off. I just think she is. Like, I think she's ready for the test. Everything Adarusha does well, I think Silva does too. I think she's faster now. I think she's got a bigger kicking game. I mean, I say she's just, she's like the 2.0 version of Adarusha. I say, give me Silva. I want to take a late stoppage too, but I'll say it goes to the decision. Give me Silva by unanimous decision. Third from the top at UFC Fight Night 235 is a welterweight matchup between Randy Brown and Muslim Salikov. This fight was originally supposed to take place at UFC 296 back on December 16th, so I believe that's just uh, five weeks. Uh, Keith and I previewed it back then. Keith, has anything happened in the last five weeks to make you change your mind? No, not at all. All right. Well, uh, looking right now, the odds are... Brown minus 250, Salikov plus 200 or so. So just keep that in mind. But I believe that's right around what they were at the time we previewed this. Uh, so buckle up, enjoy this uh, grainy old VHS footage, and we'll be back with you in just a few minutes. Brown, the 33-year-old Jamaican-American, is 17-5 and five overall. He is 11-5 and five in the UFC. He did win his last time out. Uh, he welcomed former middleweight Wellington Terman to the welterweight division, won a unanimous decision over him. That was at UFC on ABC Emmett versus Tapuria back in June. Uh, that allowed him to put a quick and ugly loss to Jack De La Maddalena back in February in the rear view. He'll look to make it two wins in a row now at the expense of Salikov. Uh, Salikov, 39-year-old Dagestani, is 19-4 overall. He is 6-3 in the UFC. He is coming in off of a loss, and he has, in fact, alternated wins and losses for his last uh, last few fights. Uh, he faced Nicholas Dalby at UFC on ESPN Vittori versus Cannoneer back in June, dropped a unanimous decision. Prior to that, he had a spectacular uh, highlight reel knockout over Andre Fialio a little over a year ago. Uh, odds here favor Brown pretty heavily. He is minus 250, Solikov plus 200. Keith, I'm going to flip this one to you first. Uh, all I'll throw out there is I keep waiting for Muslim Solikov to look old, uh, <laughs> just with such a movement-heavy style and literally pushing 40. I mean, he's, uh, he's 39, and he's almost 39 and a half. Uh, it hasn't happened yet, win or lose. Uh, tell me if he, you think this is when father time finally takes over jumps on his back or you know in any event whether he gets past brown yeah salikov's that guy that like you're at the gym and you're like 
slowly running on the treadmill at 40 years old and you look over and there's this like 65 year old guy just freaking going way faster than you you're like like fuck you and your v8 drink like, <laughs> like how's your jitsu, jitsu game then he's tapping you out like fuck yeah. <laughs> um I was thinking about Randy Brown putting in a light bulb, and then like, Randy Brown holds the light bulb, and Salikov spin kicks it into place. <laughs> um, this is yeah, this is a fun fight right away. I mean, uh, they're you know, based on their ages, uh, you know, specifically Salikov, like they're not going to be good. You know, they're not true contenders at welterweights, considering. I mean, we we can go back and forth in debate, but it's 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 either bantamweight or welterweight, or or that. You know those four divisions that it is so hard to even get in the top fifteen. You're like you're you're a freaking killer. You know, and it's it's like it's like people I mean, people like talk junk about like starting quarterbacks, and it's like in the NFL, it's like you know there's only thirty two people, thirty two of them on planet Earth. <laughs> so, um, uh, Randy Brown, you know, he, obviously he's you know we already joked about him. He's a long lengthy guy. He, he you know definitely wants to work from range. Uh, he moves around the cage really well with good footwork. Uses feints well to set up his shots. Fast hands. Uh, he loves the like the up jab. He uses the jab to kind of keep his distance. Really good long kicking game. Uh, he he's got those long legs though, so he's open to calf kicks. But he's got some pretty good calf kicks himself. Uh, I go back to like the Vicente Luque fight where Luque uh, beat him up and dropped him with leg kicks. Uh, I like his teep kicks. I think that's the best part of his game. Pushes people on his back foot with that. Uh, if his opponent crashes the pocket, he's really good at the, being the one to initiate the clinch and then use his size inside, you know, getting getting the collar tie and then start blasting knees. Uh, he will look for a takedown. I've compared him to Michael Kessa in the this, in this style where he's not very technical. He kind of just reaches down, but he has those long arms. It's like go-go gadget, just snatches that, you know, uh, leg in. Uh, he also can get like inside and, 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 and get some body lock takedown and stuff. He does need to have better control. And I think that just comes from not, not being a true like grappler. You know, he's not, you know, he's not going to Abu Dhabi's. He's not wrestling at a high level. Uh, so I think that happens. But he's got four subs on his record. Uh, and he has over the years improved his get up game. Like he gets up much better. Now, you know, despite being 39 years old, like Muslim Salah, you mentioned, he's still a really good athlete. He moves well. Uh, he's got good head movement. He's good at slipping his head off the center line and then just ripping shots of his own. Uh, and, you know, as he's avoiding shots, really good at picking up his opponent's timing. I would say he has plus power. He, you know, he sits on his punches. I mean, I go back. I mean, it's been a while ago, but like he starts Norton Tilly in, in, in a fight. Uh, some of the best kicks in the game. I mean, kicks everywhere. Uh, you know, he has that. He has a. Um, I, I, I know. I compare a lot of guys to the guy. Who's that guy? Who's the guy in Bellator was a champion? Shomenko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shomenko. He has that Shomenko thing going for him. Um, he's like UFC's version. Mm-hmm. And he's probably how Shomenko would have done in the UFC. Yeah. You know, I know it's a little different division, but, you know, he's, he was upper division, but still. Uh, he should have been a welterweight, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, he should have been a well, Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I am worried about his chin a little bit. I mean, he was recently knocked out by Lee Jing Liang. He took a lot of damage in his last fight against Nicholas Dalby. That's what Dalby does, you know. Um, he loves spinning attacks. Uh, we already joked about that. I mean, he knocked out Andre Fiello with a spinning attack. It was fantastic. Uh, and, and he's a, you know, obviously, he's, you know, you look at his name, he, you know, he can wrestle. He's a good wrestler, really good reactionary double. Uh, I was looking at his record. He's gotten takedown in, in four, you know, at least one takedown in four straight fights. So something he's been actually adding on as he gets later in his career, adding more wrestling, which is very rare for someone at his age. It's usually the opposite. Usually that's when they abandon their wrestling. 
Yeah. Uh, he also like catch a kick to get the fight to the ground. Uh, he's also does need to improve his, his control, but he's got three subs. So uh, <coughs> I was surprised that the line was as big as it was. Uh, I was a little bit on the fence in this one. Because I, I like both guys. Uh, I think both guys have a lot of raw talent. You know, the God, you know, Salikov is such a great athlete, but Brown has just, it's so hard to pick against these long, lengthy guys. You know, I'm going to go with Brown here because, you know, he, he's older than I like and he's older than I think he is. Like, I think he's like 33, which is always surprising because he still feels like a prospect. Yeah. Um, but he's still at the age where I don't think he can fall apart overnight. And I still don't trust that with Salikov. Like I, I could, you know, we've seen that before. Um, Dolby and his style and his grinding style and his staying in your face and, and, and having output was, was an issue for Salikov. And I think Brown can kind of have the same thing. So I'm going to say Brown with his, with his volume. Um, he's he, Brown is one of the few guys that Salikov is not going to have a kicking advantage just because of the, you know, the leg difference, you know, that the kicking range would actually work against him so give me brown by decision yeah this one was similarly tough for me to, to pick and i was a little surprised that brown was such a big favorite uh, Salika, i i agree that brown it feels like he should be younger than he is I, this is his 17th ufc fight that's and nuts he's still a big prospect he still feels like a prospect, and I think it's because he was so raw when he came to the UFC. He's really developed and learned and kind of become the fighter he is under the bright lights. So, yeah, it, he still has a young prospect feel. And at the same time, Salikov, it feels like a guy that's been on the cusp of kind of the top 15 for several years. But like, it's the same thing I always say about lightweight. It's such they are such fast moving waters that it doesn't even matter if you keep winning all your fights. If you don't fight often enough, you're going to get passed. And that was the case with Salikov. He's been a once or at best twice a year fighter since like 2017. And so even though he has a bunch of elite wins and no really bad losses, it's just not quite enough to get him over the hump. Uh, Brown still has that, that upside. He feels like a guy that is still putting things together and, the the Della Maddalena loss was a was it was very sobering because all of a sudden Brown was starting to look like a possible top ten guy and then he ran into Della Maddalena and we remembered okay one Della Maddalena is really good two uh, Brown he he's no longer the kind of guy that finds spectacular ways to lose fights or never before seen ways to lose fights but when he loses he does still tend to lose spectacularly. Uh, and that's why, even though I'm picking him, if Salikov wins, I'm going to look real, real silly because Salikov's going to just do something absolutely wild, like hit the tallest guy in the division with a with a spinning wheel kick or something. Uh, Imagine that's how the evening starts. That's, <laughs> if so, and they still make Randy Brown change the light bulb. Yeah, <laughs> give him the spelling salt and and a light bulb. Uh, <clears throat> It will be interesting to see if Salikov turns to his wrestling. Uh, you know, I've said a few times there, there seem to be two kinds of Dagestani fighters, ones who are pure wrestler and learn to strike to some extent or another, and then ones who are really flashy, exotic strikers and will surprise you with how sound their wrestling is because he's going to have plenty of opportunities to bring this thing to the canvas. Uh, Brown loves to kick. Um, you mentioned his teep up the middle. Uh, it's a fantastic 
rangefinder that also takes the wind out of his opponent, stops their forward progress. But I could see Salikov eating one of those, then catching the second and running Brown to the ground. And that's where it might get really interesting. There's plenty of upset potential here. I could see Salikov saying, forget the spinning stuff. I'm not going to get into a tornado kick match with a guy twice my, my size. I could see him just being sensible and turning this into a grind, maybe trying to take Brown down and win rounds that way. But I am going to go with Brown to edge out the decision here, probably in a really fun back and forth fight where both guys have, uh, you know, moments of spectacular offense, moments where the momentum is theirs. But uh, give me Brown to come out just a little bit ahead. The co-main event of UFC Vegas 85 is a lightweight matchup between Renato Carnero and Drew Dober. Moicano, the 34-year-old Brazilian, is 17-5-1 overall. He is 9-5 in the UFC since joining as a jungle fight standout low these many years ago. He is 4-2 since moving up from featherweight. He was a featherweight. Since then, he's been a lightweight with one... You know, 160 pound catch weight in uh, mixed in there, but basically four and two at lightweight or lightweight plus. Uh, he won his last time out, tapped out Brad Riddell with a very nice rear naked choke. That's the good news. The bad news is that that was a long time ago. That was at UFC 281 back in November of 2022. Moicano has been on the shelf ever since then, uh, 15 months or so, due to a knee injury that necessitated surgery than the lengthy recuperation from that. But he is back, and though it is what you expect any fighter to say, he says he is feeling as healthy and strong as ever and wishes he had done it years ago. We will find out whether he's telling the truth against Dober. A 35-year-old Nebraska native is 27-12 and 12 with one no contest overall. He is 13-8 and eight with one no contest in the UFC. He also is coming into this fight off a win. He fought on the Dawson versus green fight night back in October, where he knocked the crap out of Ricky Glenn in the first round that allowed him to come back from uh, not being the last man standing in the slugger matchup with Matt Frivola back in May. So uh, two gentlemen looking to extend one win into two. The line is pretty close. Keith, your favorite is minus minus one fifty. Your underdog is plus plus one twenty. Who are they? Um, that Moicano is a favorite. You are correct. Hinato Moicano Carnero is minus 150. Drew Dober plus 120. Moicano is a guy that I hope he's telling the truth about his knee being all good and him feeling as healthy as he ever has because it is a whole hell of a lot of fun to have him around. Uh, he's a guy that he's been, I mean, he's made it very far up, uh, you know, the, the rankings at various times just due to the right wins at the right time. But he's been a reliably top 10-ish guy in two different divisions for quite a few years now in the UFC and generally very entertaining in the process. I, I feel as though he's, I mean, he always was, and he seems to have really settled into being a little bit of a, a poor man's Charles Oliveira. Like, he's a, Fantastic submission grappler, like opportunistic, but also positionally sound. He's good off his back as well as in top position. And while you look at his record and you're like, well, this guy has like zero KOs and a boatload of submissions. But if 
you, you shouldn't look at that and think, well, he must be a lousy striker. He's not a lousy striker. He's a no. good striker. He, he doesn't have crushing one shot power, but neither did Charles Oliveira for most of his career. And it's just, uh, he's, there's something special about that dude. Uh, <laughs> didn't. Yeah. It's like, uh, <laughs> I mean, think about St. Pierre. Think about St. Pierre. He has that one highlight of him dropping John Finch. That, yep. That's like, I, I can't remember another punch where he really hurt somebody. No, like, I, I mean, un- unless it was like just against like jabbing Koshak over and over again and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, he was a good, great striker, but you get my point. Yeah. And, and, you know, Moicano, he's, he's a good striker. He's whether at 145 or 155, he's a long rangey guy who at least, at least understands distance and does his best to fight at his best range. You know, he throws uh, punches and kicks in combination, tries to take advantage of the reach of, uh, of the reach that he has on most of his appoint- opponents. It doesn't always work, but usually when it doesn't work, it's because he's fighting elite of the elite fighters. He's fighting the Jose Aldo's and Rafael Fazeev's uh, of the world who, you know, can navigate the distance against him. Uh, yeah, I like Moicano a lot. Not a whole lot not to like. Here, I mean, Drew Dober is awesome. He's whenever he retires, he's probably a shoe in for the for the Hall of Fucking Awesome. He's you know, uh, yeah, it, and we know he's and we know exactly what he is. Uh, he himself is a very good kickboxer with crushing power and some serious liabilities in the defensive <laughs> wrestling and defensive yeah. grappling. That at this point, at thirty five, it's not going to get any better. That yeah, you know, it's. It. <laughs> Yeah, screw it. It's screw it. it. You know, as late as like 2018 or so, five years ago, you know, I, I could have been thinking, you know what? There's still time for him to turn this around. He's just 30 years old. It's a young 30. I mean, look at his face. He looks like Duke Nukem. He's just, you know, it, yeah. uh, at this <laughs> just point, screw it and call your opponent a crotch sniffer if he goes to wrestle. Exactly. That that's <laughs> that's the man he is. And that's the problem here because Dober has the avenue to victory that he always does. And it's not just that he's reliant only on the kill shot. Like he's a good technical Muay Thai striker. Like he can, he, he could piece Moicano up for three rounds and not need to knock him out and win this fight clearly. Like, so, but his best avenue to victory is on the feet. Whereas Moicano was smart enough to know that he needs to get this to the ground. And the thing is, even if he knows he's going to, he knows what's coming. Dober knows what's coming. I don't think Dober's going to be able to stop it because Moicano can handle himself on the feet well enough that Dober can't just completely sell out against the takedown. Uh, one, I don't think he will, but even if he did, like, Moicano would head kick him. Like, Moicano throws a variety <laughs> of strikes and he has, like, yeah. decent pop on him. Uh, he hasn't gotten any knockouts yet, but it, it's yeah. it's just. It's just that it hasn't happened. That's why I do favor Moicano here. I'm going to trust him and assume that he is no worse for wear after the year on the shelf, after the surgery. And I'm going to say that Moicano probably spends a little more time on the feet in the early going than is strictly good for his health. Dober maybe makes him pay for it by getting the better of the striking, but doesn't make him pay for it as in like smelling salts. And Moicano ends up, you know, maybe crashing the pocket off of a kick, tripping uh, Dober to the ground, and then it's over pretty quickly. Uh, Moicano in either weight class has some fast back takes, and he's the kind of elite grappler where 
he's taking your back and sinking one hook. And while you're paying attention to that, he's already got the choke cinched up. Uh, give me Moicano by rear naked choke late in the first round. Yeah. Um, I agree with what you said about Moicano striking. I, I actually think he's a good striker. I think he's a well-rounded fighter. Uh, he's, he's When he's striking, he's, he's a Muay Thai type striker. He stands directly in front of his opponents with good boxing, works behind a crisp jab. Um, again, yeah, he, he doesn't have knockers, but I actually think he's got decent power. Uh, good kicking him. I mean, he killed Calvin Cato with calf kicks. And he's a bit of a wizard on the ground. He's a, he's a good wrestler. Let's say he's a lead on the ground. He's a BJJ black belt with great control, great submission game. He's got eight career subs. The thing about Moicano is his age, his health, and his durability. I mean, he's been knocked out a lot. I mean, Jose Aldo knocked him out. Korean Zombie knocked him out. Uh, Rafael Fazi blasted him. Um, he took a lot of damage against RDA. So those add up, and you got to wonder, uh, you know, how much of that does he take into this fight? Drew's over 34. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Drew Dober, I mean, I, I, I've always loved Drew Dober. He's he's my kind of guy. Like, which is funny because the guy, like, you know me, I love wrestling. Like, I, I I was at wrestling practice today. Like, I I could be a wrestling every day. I love wrestling. Um, like I I would go to wrestling. Like, <laughs> so my my daughter uh, plays the drums and is like right next door to where my son's wrestling team is, and they'll do like private lessons. So it's kind of like a smaller group. And I bring my daughter to her drums lessons. And if there's like a group session, like I'm not gonna go in and be like a weird dad if there's a bunch of kids playing. So I would go right to wrestle and just watch, watch private lessons and just lo- love it, love the whole half. Like don't like, oh, don't tell me your drums will go longer. Do a solo, like, <laughs> like I love it. But that's <laughs> Drew Doba. I spent more, I spent more time in like watching a private lesson going on with like you know a college kid teaching a young kid than. Drew Dober has in his career to wrestle around <laughs> but uh, on the feet, man, the guy's southpaw. He's a pressure striker. Uh, he's constantly setting up his his straight right by stepping just outside the center line, lining up his punch as well. Uh, he he really measures. He's accurate. Uh, slip and rip striker. Uh, draws out attacks well with feints. I love the body work. It is just continuing every fight to become a bigger part of his game. I mean, go back to the Rafael Alves fight. He's just ripping them with body shots. One of the best, you know, I think last time I called him best pound-for-pound punchers in the UFC. And you don't think of a guy, you know, at this weight class as this huge knockout, but he is. I mean, he keeps his, his feet underneath him, and he, and he just unloads um, just with bad intentions. Now, he can chase the KO sometimes, um, throwing – so hard that it kind of keeps him off balance and well, and I should say off balance, but like overthrowing instead of just flowing. But you know, if he catches you, he's, he knocks you dead. As far as the grappling, we talk about his zero offensive wrestling, his defensive wrestling is terrible. Uh, for such a great strike, he has taken a lot of damage. I mean, he got knocked out by Matt Favola, he was hurt by Terrence McKinney, he was hurt by Bobby Green. Uh, so those things I'm concerned about. As far as the prediction goes. If this stays on the feet, we could get a KO. I, and I think both ways, because both guys have durability issues. Like, I wouldn't shock me if McConnell like gets that KO against Drew Dober. Um, 
you know, gun to my head and someone says, you know, knock out who, who gets it, then obviously I'm, I'm going Dover. I mean, he's got serious power. Um, I really want to take Dover. But, I mean, Dover is so terrible on the ground. And Meccano is so good on the ground. I can't imagine Meccano not saying, you know, I think he has confidence in his hands and his, his Muay Thai. I just can't see him going why would I just take this such an easy avenue of victory? I say he takes Dober down. I say he submits him. I say he does a very first round. Moicano by first round submission. Yeah, so that's uh, two calls for Moicano to celebrate his return with the first round submission. But I, I like that you mentioned that Dober has that kind of power that transcends weight class because it must be that Nebraska power. Because here's the thing. If you ask me to think of fighters like – that are below heavyweight, but you think they'd be most likely to knock out a heavyweight if you gave him one oh, clean yeah. shot. I mean, yeah. well, uh, leaving aside the Dutchman, like a prime Melvin Manouf, I'm going like Drew Dober, Jake Ellenberger, Houston Alexander, like three Nebraska guys right there. Yeah, it must be. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you say below what? Below heavyweight? It could be any yeah. weight class below. Oh, wait, yeah. any weight class below heavyweight. But I mean, no, 205 isn't as cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you are. So you go like 170 down. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Figueredo at flyweight, if you want to go really, really, you know, prime Figueredo. But yeah, I, I think. But hell, dude. Now, yeah, that, put on, put on now that John Dodson has finally started throwing his hands. Yeah. Oh, John dude, Dodson, yeah. John Dodson, after. Oh, that's a good call. That's a good call. Dude, after he left the UFC and we were both so done with him as the most frustrating fighter ever, he just started going crazy. He's yeah. killing people in bare knuckle and in one. Um, maybe Phil Baroni. Remember Phil Baroni? Oh yeah, dude. Back when he was so juiced that there was like like veins coming out of every muscle, uh, like some action figure. I wasn't there in person when he, I thought he, Dave Manet died. Um, when he just yeah, chain gun like I'm sure there's some obvious to his face. Yeah, I'm sure there's some. I mean, just, it's getting pretty late, so I, I you yeah. know, my brain's not working as well. But I'm sure there's probably some pretty obvious people we're not thinking of. Yeah. But I mean, Drew Dober's right up there. Like, I would yeah. not want to be punched by Drew Dober. <laughs> Heck no. Imagine Drew Dober in power slap. I, I don't know if he could take the slap, but I'm sure he could freaking land one. Like, yeah. like I'm sure that like obviously he can land it. I know they, they don't move the head, but you get you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. He he he'd he'd be good. He'd be subject to the coin flip for sure. Like who, <laughs> I, I don't know how they determine who goes first. Is it the coin flip? I don't I've know. never watched it. I, yeah. I don't it, I I watch low level or um, low society type things. I'm I'm too. I'm, hey, I go to Broadway plays. I'm I'm too. I was gonna too, say too, too like sophisticated, too sophisticated for power slap. <laughs> With that, we come to the main event of UFC Fight Night 235, a middleweight matchup between Roman Delidze and Nasruddin Imavov. Delidze, the 35 year old Georgian, is 12 and two overall. He is seven and two in the UFC. He is five and two at middleweight. He opened his UFC run with two straight, pretty easy looking wins at 205, decided his best future nonetheless lay a weight class down and dropped. And thus far, it's worked out pretty well for him. He did lose his last time out. Uh, it was a unanimous decision against Marvin Vittori at UFC 286 last March. But before that, he'd rattled off four straight wins, the last three of them by pretty uh, eye-popping stoppages. He'll look to get back in the win column here against Imavov. The 28-year-old Russian by way of France 
is 12 and four with one no contest overall. He's four and two with one no contest in the UFC. That one no contest was in his last outing. He took on Chris Curtis at UFC 289 last June. He was winning the fight. That was competitive, uh, but there was an accidental clash of heads in the middle of the second round that rendered Curtis unable to continue. Uh, Imavov has been on the shelf ever since. Prior to that, he did lose a unanimous decision to Sean Strickland in the headliner of UFC Fight Night 217 almost exactly a year ago. So he's looking for his first actual official win since late 2022. And, well, let's see if he's favored to get it. Keith? Your favorite is minus 160. Your underdog plus 130. Who are they? Uh, Dillard says his favorite. Your favorite, Nasruddin Imavov, minus oh. 160. Dillidze coming in around uh, plus 125, plus 130 or so. But okay. I'm glad that you guessed that because I was a little surprised myself. And I was not a believer in, in Dillidze. When he debuted in the UFC back in, uh, was it? Yeah, it's 20. 20 or so he rattled off two pretty easy wins over low level guys, guys that immediately washed out of the UFC. And prior to that, he'd been out of the sport for almost two full years. I was like, okay, this is fun, but this is a like 30 year old quote prospect who has muscles on his muscles. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to, he's going to gas out horribly and lose horribly. The first time he runs into somebody with a pulse and then he drops to 185 and loses to talented, but inconsistent Trevin Giles. Like uh, I've underestimated and written off the leads a way too many times at this point, but here's the thing. He's done everything right. I mean, the only thing he could have done better was not take so much time off and get to this level sooner, but he relocated his uh, training to one of the best camps in the whole sport at the right time. Like he's been at Extreme Couture for four or five years now. When he dropped to 185, he didn't just do it by sucking out more water. Like within the course of about six months, he really did retool his physique to the point where he can now keep up a decent work rate well into a fight. And his athleticism and power, I mean, he's 35, but they don't seem to have waned yet. Against Vittori, he may just have run into a better fighter than himself, but everything else seems to be there, man. Like, his striking is still, I think it's still a little raw, but it's not as raw as it used to be, and he's got a ton of power behind everything. And then his wrestling and grappling is just hulk stuff i do not remember whether he has a greco background but the way he likes to just kind of haul people up with upper body power and throw them around makes me think it the way like the way he beat jack hermanson hermanson has lost plenty of fights over the years but getting trapped in what looked like a pro wrestling finisher with like one of his like face down with one of his feet folded up behind them and getting the sides of his skull punched in that was that was an eye-opener like delete is the real deal and against Imavov, I think Imavov probably has the higher upside ultimately. Like if either of these guys, if either of these guys is ever a champ, it's probably Imavov. But <sighs> Imavov for a guy that's as big as he is, I think Dolizzi might be able to push him back and bully him. Like Imavov kind of fights like an MMA factory guy. Like MMA factory guys, other than Nganu, like they have some things that they like to do. And one of them 
is throwing the front kick as a sort of alternate jab. That's not going to fly against Elize. Like I think the first time that happens, Elize just probably takes it right in the gut, but also catches the foot, pushes him backwards, and maybe even sweeps his other foot out from under him before they get to the fence. But I think Delize is probably going to uh, take Imavov down, maybe take him down early. That might feed success, like uh, success on the feet later. Yeah, I, I, even though he's a slight underdog here, I favor Delize in this one. And unless something weird has happened and he really has started to, to fall off and there's no indication that that's happening, uh, I like Delize in, in this matchup. Uh, Imavov, Maybe a well, he's a current contender, maybe a future champ, but I think Saturday is Delize's night. Uh, I think he gets him off on the ground multiple times, at least holds his own in in the striking. Maybe lands a couple of big shots on the feet and uh, does enough to win at least three out of the rounds. Give me uh, Delize by decision. Well, uh, this this is a an intriguing matchup. I, I mean, I, I like it. It's it's. It... They, even though Delice is is you know, what did you say, 35, 34, something like that. Thirty five. Thirty five. He still feels like in like the new kid on the block, um, you know, and and off the kind of same way. Like they haven't been around the division that long, so uh, usually I try to get these guys to stay away. But it's time to find out who's the real guy and who's not. You know, um, Delice, yeah, he's. He's not that hulking, incredibly look like Arnold Schwarzenegger guy at that he was at 205, but he's still a really big, strong dude that that um, you know doesn't miss chest day. Uh, yeah, he's uh, you know his striking. He, he's a power puncher in the feet. I mean, he throws hard hooks, looking to knock your head off. Loves his overhand right. Loves his left hook. He's not very technical. I, the, I I thought he was the favorite. Just I was going kind of going with the bigger name, the guy who's had you know more success at the higher level. Uh, so that's why I assumed he was the favorite. That said, while I was just talking about his striking, and and I know he beat Jack Hermanson, he didn't look good on the feet, particularly against Bob Vittori or Jack Hermanson. Uh, his output was bad in both fights, especially the Hermanson fight. Like he was refusing throws again. Pizza. He kind of had to come back on him. Uh, he when he throws his kicks, they're like thudding kicks. And I actually like that he's one of the guys who checks leg kicks, which is really rare. Uh, but when he closes distance, I agree with you. He, I mean, he's mean. He gets that clinch. Uh, he can grind there. Mean knees inside. He's a really good wrestler. Incredible ground control. Um, he swept Jack Hermanson, which, which it, that 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 was obviously the best win of his career. But besides that, like sweeping Jack Hermanson, Jack Hermanson, I incredibly underrated grappler himself. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good feat. Uh, he's a submission threat. I mean, he hit a, hit a cap sledge against Jack Hermanson. Uh, mean ground and pound. Uh, I do agree that his gas tank is better. I'm still not confident in his gas tank to go 25 minutes like that this fight is. So that that's definitely a, a huge question mark. But, you know, he can obviously answer that on, on Saturday. Imavov... You know, he, he, he's a very good athlete, moves well, he's elusive. Uh, he wants to be, you know, the guy leading the dance. That's why he, he really struggled with the pressure of Sean Strickland. But when he's throwing, he's I think he's a good striker. Uh, he's a counter striker, very calm and relaxed, quick hands, good snap on his shots. Uh, he loves the feedback counters. He's got really good power. Uh, 
he, I mean, he knocked out Ian Heinish, you know, in, in a beautiful, uh, beautiful uh, knockout. Uh, he he beat up um, Edmund Shabazian. He has some things. He keeps his hands low. Really relies strictly on on uh, slipping and ripping. He can wrestle, but he doesn't look for it enough. But to his credit, he took Chris Curtis down three times, which which is pretty pretty impressive. Uh, and when he commits, he's relentless on his takedown attempts. Uh, good ground and pound. He's got mean ground uh, gr- uh, ground and pound. Good good control. Uh, I mean, you go back to like he beat up Ian Heinish from the top position. I mean, murdered Edmund Shabazzi in the top position. He has a submission threat. Uh, he almost caught Jordan Williams in a, in a great guillotine when he went in. Uh, he shows some improved takedown defense against Ian Heinish. So for like two upper echelon middleweights, I wouldn't surprise you even though I said I like the matchup because I'm because I really I don't have a strong take for two upper echelon middleweights. I'm not that high on either guy. Uh, Dilitzi definitely has the power advantage and, and the ground game advantage, but Imabov is much faster. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go the opposite. I'm, I'm going to say he uses his footwork, his speed advantage. Uh, I think if the fight goes deeper, it starts favoring him. I say he picks spots to let's say range. I say he stuffs enough takedowns to win this fight. I mean, he definitely has to not be underneath the let's say. Uh, I thought I was gonna, being a little bit of uh, going on a, on a limb and going that dog, but I guess I'm actually taking the favorite. I think the fight, the further the fight goes, the more it starts making Amabov look more convincing. Give me Amabov by decision. And that is the Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 235, Dalize versus Imavov. I've been Ben. He has been Keith. If this is your first time watching or listening to one of our previews, first of all, thank you. We hope you enjoyed it. We do our best to bring you a mix of serious fight talk and occasional dad rock references. I don't know how we got onto that, but you know, occasional historical asides and speculation on who the hardest punchers in Nebraska are. I, I don't know where this stuff comes from, but please do give us a like, uh, subscribe, leave us a comment. Keith and I both work the comment section. We'd love to hear from you on any of these fights. Uh, certainly if you think we're way out there on any of our picks, let us know. And if you turn out to be right, we will give you all the credit, but most importantly, join us for the recap. We will be live on the Sherdog YouTube page about 10 minutes after that main event. Keith takes the captain's chair. We'll talk about all 13 of these fights in reverse order from the headliner all the way down to that uh, heavyweight opener, talking about what was good, what was bad, what was surprising, what was controversial. There's always something talking about what's next for some of the notable winners as well as losers and talking to you because the live chat is open that whole time. So we are taking your questions, your comments, and your hot takes in real time. We have a growing community of friends that hang out with us after the fights, and we would love for you to be part of it. Between now and then, thank you once again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week, and by all means, enjoy these fights. It's dragging it down, down. to the sea.